Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics and Pop Culture Podcast, coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. Welcome to the end of the year, and to episode 285, a two-and-a-half-hour episode, wherein Graham McMillan and I give you our best-of list for 2019, and Graham his best-of for the entire decade, a bunch of related comic book topics ranging from Tom King to incoming number one to comic book entropy to the Kieran Gillen and Salvador Lo Roca run on Darth Vader, and also including a lengthy and very personal update about the changes in our lives in 2019. Comments on this episode are available at waitwhatpodcast.com. Send us your questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com, and we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Jeff Lester! Graham McMillan, hello! You know what I like there? The way to the grrr sounded very radio. <laughs> Did it? <laughs> yes, I liked it. I, I, I think I think you should definitely do like do more. Lean into that for twenty twenty. I, I, I perhaps I shall. Perhaps I shall. I'll be I'll be the radio chops. Coming up at a quarter hour, we've got a review of Batman. <laughs> wow. Well, now I know what we're doing in fifteen minutes. Sure. <laughs> Helps. Note to sell. Writes the note. Jeff wants to talk about bad. <laughs> I actually do. I've got some things to say about the old, the old Batman. My goodness, for our last old episode Mr. of Mr. Bats. Yes, old Mr. Man, first name Bat. <laughs> it is. It's B A T, and then Man is with two N's. Yes. Oh my God. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> From the of the Mansford Man's. It, it's sharp. Bartholomew, like Batlash. Oh yes, you're a genius. You're a genius. I see this. This is this is Batman secret identity. Our 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 unsuccessful follow up to Kurt Busiek's um, somewhat less successful Superman secret identity, or what was it called? Wait, 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 wait. Kurt Busiek's somewhat less successful. <laughs> Well, I don't feel like I don't feel like that was a hugely successful book. Maybe it was, but I mean, well, it's massively successful. Was it? Yeah, it's, it's one of those, but it's one of those things that like had an afterlife as a collection. Oh, I see. So the afterlife collection was pretty much what yeah. is how when we talk about success, as well we should. Uh, we should no, talk let, about let's it, talk yeah. about long term success. Yeah. After all, no one remembers that the last issue of Watchmen was however long it was late or whatever the normal saying was. Yes, yes, indeed. When, in fact, one doesn't even really remember the saying about uh, how late the saying have you, was. Oh, have you never heard people? That used to be back when I want to say it was the Ultimates. Mm-hmm. Like whenever the like there was definitely a Marvel book in oh, the early uh, the, of the century. Wasn't that it was like, like every days. Marvel book of this? You no, know? but there was, a, there was there was one yeah. book in particular. Yeah, it was, that was the really Ultimates, really yeah. late, and it used to be every single time someone would be like, "Isn't this like nine months late?" Mm-hmm. Like a legion of people would be like, "No one remembers the last issue of Watchmen was." I, I mean, I honestly don't remember how late the last issue of Watchmen yeah, was. It was close to a year late. I yeah, think. but uh, but, but yeah. It, it, well, like the uh, the response was always, "No one remembers last year of Watchmen was however long it was late." Right, like all the time, mm-hmm. and it was like, okay, <laughs> sure, <laughs> yeah, that's true. That is, you're absolutely. I think that's right. I think you're. I think you're right, Graham. Like. 
the the wonderful thing about comics now is we can completely divorce them from the context within which they were originally created, and now they're just they're just they're just items. They're now just, they're just products, Jeff. They're, they're just it's products. Content. It's con- content that we can club one another about the ears with and and challenge uh, each other to purity tests over. So yes, and I think we should. Oh, I think that's. Definitely the best way, the best use of our time. Exactly. Coming up in a quarter of an hour, a new purity test. <laughs> Was that sufficiently radio enough for you on that? Yes, yeah, especially the pronunciation of the word test. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. <laughs> You're so close to be like, exit stage lag. <laughs> exactly. It was late even. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Delayed, if you will. Yeah, my Snagglepuss falls apart pretty quickly, unfortunately. Uh, Graham McMillan, it's the last podcast of the year. We could well end up talking like this for hours, and it would probably suit all of us right. But I feel like, if nothing else, um, are we going to talk about the best books of the year? Are we going to talk about... Oh, I, 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 I'm not ready for best books of the decade, mind you. But I was going to say, it's not mm-hmm. just the last book, the last podcast of the year. It's the last podcast of the decade, which I did think earlier today. Yeah. I was like, oh shit, should we like do some sort of decade roundup? Which was immediately followed in my brain by, nope. Yeah. <laughs> not gonna happen. Let's not. I did a, a best of decade list for THR. Yes. I've told you this before, because this is why I was looking at manga. Right. Um... And I struggled over that motherfucker. Mm-hmm, <laughs> like mm-hmm. I really did. I was like, mm, you know, what, uh, you know, it's. I, I struggled over two parts. One, every single best of list is inherently subjective. Right. Right. So I shouldn't torture myself that you know I'm not getting everyone's point of view in there. Mm-hmm. Simultaneously, there's too much of me in this list. Mm-hmm. I have someone else's point of view in there. <laughs> And I like it. Just it was it was the bane of my fucking life mm-hmm. for like I ended up literally like three weeks. Oh God! Um, just I kept on changing like what what was in there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so best of decades are like best of years are also like are similarly hard. Mm. But also like it's a year, you know. You can kind of be like, ah, oh, fuck it, you know. Yeah. I. I yeah, I mean, for me, I can put together some lists. This year took a certain amount of effort. I think next year should be golden smooth, but but this year took some some effort. But I I usually, in the past, when we put together best of lists, I've usually just looked through our show notes and found stuff that I've praised, and then I'm like, oh okay, then I can put together exactly. a pretty solid. Yeah, list. I like that. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so why is next year going to be uh, golden smooth, and this year was difficult? Oh well, so. Uh, for all of this year, more or less, um, I tracked all of my comic digital purchases, which were the majority of my purchases and the majority of my reading. At a certain point, which is to say around June, I also started tracking what I was reading. So from June through the end of the year, it was pretty easy for me to look at those lists, you know, kind of get the spreadsheet together, do some sorting and then, and then just start not knocking together a list. But what sure. was hard was that 
um, because I was not listing everything that I was reading for the first five or six months of the year, my list probably has um, stuff that's missing. And considering I'm going forward with the tracking everything that I read and tracking everything that I purchase, it should be pretty easy for me. Sure, yeah, you should. You, in theory, will have everything. Exactly, exactly. And, and even then, that still sort of... Uh, throws things off a little bit because you know the the vast majority of what i read i read digitally but it's not necessarily everything there's probably one or two things that i read in print and i just can't even i and i think that i think this is the the other trick part of why i wasn't even going to consider the best of the decade is i feel like the last three years have been so overwhelming. I'm not even sure what it would mean to look back to what I was reading in 2012, you know, and just, or 2011 and not feeling a little, I don't know, just sort of nauseous about it, you know, like it just, it just, to me, it, there's a certain, um, it's like watching the first, uh, I don't know, 20 minutes of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre over again. It's like, oh, these people don't know. Don't go in that house. Don't don't <laughs> go into the house. It's it's weird thinking back a decade. Yeah. Like it really is. Right. Um, not just in comics, but like in all culture and all media. Yeah. No, especially. You know? Yeah. Right. Because we really didn't know. And there's there's just, there's things that, I mean, it's weird thinking back a year even. Right. You know, we were just like, ooh, woof, you know, I didn't know that coming. But, like, looking at so, – so the best of decade I picked for THR mm-hmm. super quickly. Um, I'm going to try – even though even though in the article it wasn't in order of publication, and it really should have been. I'm going to try and do order of publication. Was, was that you or the editor? Did you do it the was alpha? Me. Okay. No, I, I literally I, – uh, I, I honestly wrote it in the order I thought of them. Oh, um, nice. So, okay, Hark Vagrant. Right. Um, which honestly went apparently went online till 2018, which is later than I thought. Yeah, although that's, uh, I mean, I get it. I feel like Chile posted to 2018, but she's exactly, yeah, 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 yeah. So anyway, sorry, you were saying. Uh, okay, so Sarkin Vagrant, uh, mm-hmm. Smile, Raina Talikmeyer's book, right? Attempted. Um, I, again, uh, The Now of Brown by Glenn Dillon. Yeah. <laughs> Good on you. Uh, Wicked Divine. Mm-hmm. Uh, Good Night Pun Pun. Right. The Love Bunglers. Mm-hmm. Mr. Miracle. Mm-hmm. The River at Night and The Heart Tomorrow. What a great list. Right. So that's – and then I had honorable mentions, which aren't in any order whatsoever. Mm-hmm. It's Saga, Jason Aaron's Thor, like taken as a whole. Mm-hmm. People Squirrel Girl. Uh, what is left? Rosemary Valero O'Connell book, The Multiversity, mm-hmm. uh, Zombo, Judge Dredd, My Brother's Husband, My Lesbian Experience with Loneliness, Tokyo Tower Girls, Berlin, This One Summer, Ojai Sextoy, The Flintstones, mm-hmm. and Relish by Nicely. Nice. But I mean, going back, it's it's nuts. Oh, I didn't see Giant Days, did I? I should have said Giant Days for the the top ten. I thought that was in there. Oh, okay, funny. I couldn't remember. Yeah, yeah. If it's okay. Or not. Yeah. 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 But like it's it's weird thinking back to like reading these books. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah, like they're 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 all 
tied to like very specific places or very specific memories. Mm. And you know, when I go back to like reading Giant Days for the first time, reading the Night of Brown, like just having no idea what was to come. <laughs> right. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's it's a it is very strong. It's a very uh, strong thing where you're like there. The you look back and you're like, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's it's a weird it's a weird thing looking back like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. That's it. It is, and it, I think. How hard was it for you to? Did you did you find yourself uh, pondering stuff that you were kind of like something that was big for you when you read it, but ended up for whatever reason like diminishing significantly. Like sort of as as well, time I, recedes I from it, I kind of wish I had kept the original version of this list. Uh huh. Because of the ten that are on there now, mm-hmm. I think only three were on the original version of the list. Wow. Um, and then there was a lot of, well, no, like right. that doesn't really deserve to be on there. Yeah. Or that's on there because of the memory, not because of the comic. Mm. You know, or I have really warm feelings towards this book or this creator, but it's almost like extracurricular to the to the work itself. Right. So yeah, the original version of the list was very very different, hmm. uh, and it, and there was just this process of of um, again like trying to strip myself out of it. Mm-hmm. But a lot of that was really going back and being like, okay, this. How much of this is uh, not just personal bias, but like the memory of the of reading it for the first time versus the actual work? Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, it was it was it was rough. I, but the, like again, I'm very glad it took three weeks mm-hmm. because it did allow me to put something in and then go. Now, you know, two days later, no, that shouldn't be there. Right, right. Because you know that ten that's there was not even the tenth there when I started writing the final version of the list. Wow. What do you, you know, I literally, I literally was writing it up and I was like, nope, that shouldn't be there after all. Do you uh do you have a choice that didn't make the list that you still find yourself thinking, uh, maybe Well Yeah, I kind of uh, Yes. Mm-hmm. But it's, I know it's completely unreasonable. Hmm. Up until the very end, Reina wasn't on there. Reina was in honorable mentions, and the Rosemary Valero Connell book was on there. Mm. Last minute. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's honestly because I know the Reina book is uh, better. I don't know if better is the, the right way of putting it. I know, the, I know it is a more important book and means more to more people. Right. Than the Rosemary Valerio O'Connor book. But the Rosemary Valerio O'Connor book means more to me. Right. Right. You know? And yeah. and it really was um like I, I did have this whole thing where I was like, you know, just because it's not the famous book doesn't mean it doesn't serve to be on the list. And I really had a lot of like maybe it just means that I really get the the Valerio O'Connor book. Mm-hmm. And it's not a better work, <laughs> but there was a lot of like, but maybe it is a better no, maybe it isn't, maybe it is a better work, right. you know. Yeah, there's a lot of that. Right, right. 
Yeah, that's a uh, that's 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 right. Very interesting. That's very interesting. I I'll have you know what I ended up doing for my best of the year list was again taking everything that I could figure out that I had read, looking at some of the stuff that I had bought that I know that I had read in the first part of the year, creating a list, and then more or less thinking like, okay. Like there's stuff that I just removed, like just like, no, that it's not the best, you know, per se. But there was but, like, but again, like, especially when we make these lists for the show. Right. Do you not feel there's a lot more wiggle room between best and favorite? Oh, for me, it's there's uh, I don't discern the a difference. Yeah. yeah. It, it's like I think what I ended up doing was I ended up so uh, there were the. A lot of the stuff that I threw out um, was just stuff that I was like, eh, like, you know, the, a, a perfect example of this is going to be like I spent uh, a pretty good better half of a month reading the Werewolf by Night series, which was like, you know, 30 or 40 issues of comics and reading them in various states of mostly I think I was sober, but I was certainly high for some of them. And, and I was aware that it was uh, an enjoyable experience, but it was not a good comic like, or or rather there were things that I could sit down. And I think at a few times I did sort of talk about, you know, the, the strength of Don Perlin's, you know, surprisingly underrated style or things like that. And that's all that's sort of it's all fine, but like Werewolf by Night, generally I put down the book feeling like, wow, like it was always I had read it as a kid and it as a kid I I always had that like, oh, this is just two issues off of being great. Like I missed the one issue that was clearly fantastic. Yeah, I I, yeah, you know? I, I missed I missed the key. Yeah, exactly. And so rereading uh Werewolf by Night, I'm like, oh yeah, they did a couple of things here, but it was also just like, man, there could have been some great shit here that they just kind of squelched, you know? And and frankly, by the time they get to this idea of like, oh, here's our new direction for the book, it's canceled. And honestly, it was like anyway, uh, another flip side of that is I spent a lot of time reading uh, Bendis's books uh, at DC this year. Like looking at the list of it, it's like the first dozen issue, well, maybe 10 issues of action, the first dozen issues of Superman, the event Wait, Leviathan. Did you Superman longer than action, even though action was the book you liked? Uh, I don't, well, I don't. Honestly, I'd have to go and look. But essentially, I think if only by an issue or two, because I think what happened was there was a point in action somewhere around the time that, like, I don't know, the Red Mist shows up for the third time or whatever. I just, I just tapped out. I was like, I don't care. Or I think it was it right. It was right around the time Event Leviathan starts going and like Rose and the Thorn pop up, and mm-hmm. I was like. Nah, I'm just, I mean, how do I put it? I, I enjoyed action more in than Superman, sort of, but, but, but I, this is my thing. It's like, I like Bendis on sort of a page by page basis. If, if Bendis was doing web comics, he'd probably be my favorite web comics guy. 
Because just <laughs> going... You're and, like, look, on a page-by-page basis, yeah, it's gold. Yeah, on a page-by-page basis, it's entertaining. There's good scenes. I just... There's a lot that I love about his take on Superman and the supporting characters and especially the DC universe that I think was is really enjoyable. But the only thing that made my list was his amazing work on Batman Universe. I was when you said the DC Universe thing, I was yeah. like, okay, so you're reading Batman Universe, which is the best part of that. Yeah, absolutely. But but even Batman Universe, I kind of, with some reservations, more or less threw in my honorable mention list because because I still have problems with Bendis as essentially a storyteller or the stories that he tells. Like the it, I mean, even Batman Universe, which I I adored the first five issues and the sixth issue, I was kind of like really like he just always kind of has this like this mush stuff like by the time you get to the end and uh, apologies for people who have not read batman universe but are looking forward to doing it the good thing i can tell you is it's definitely the journey not the destination but when the MacGuffin ends up being like some sort of proto green lantern ring thing i was just like uh this kind of sucks i mean it didn't totally suck because again there was so much good stuff that was was writing up by it but i for me by the time you got to the end of batman universe uh there was something to me very weird about uh, how firmly it ends up being kind of a green lantern universe book like it, it was one thing when it was just a melange of something but i think i would have been happier a if it had come down to I don't know. I just I don't I don't like Bendis's I don't think Bendis has a particularly strong penchant for endings and as I've said a million times over, I think that he is he's great on the page, but I, I he needs to he doesn't he makes it sound like he dra he does uh drafts more than he does. And I just think that he just cranks the stuff out. And there's some people for whom the cranking out is a good and notable process but like exactly and it, it, yeah yeah but the difference between wagner and grant and judge dread and brian bendis on anything is really fast and i know which ones i clearly prefer you know so it, anyway all of which is say like i read a lot of superman i read a lot of action and and a lot of event love Leviathan, and and the thing that's funny is batman universe ended up as an honorable mention and i think uh, as did wonder twins activate you know there's a whole bunch of stuff that bendis really brought that i was like oh this is um like it's enjoyable uh or i enjoyed it on again on that page by page basis but i would never in a million years think of putting it on a top 10 well list. it's 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 been such a strange year right mm-hmm. it's got uh, i i've i've said to a number of people actually that i feel that dc's had a really bad year like just in general, I feel like the energy level of DC is is really down, mm-hmm. uh, and that that you know there's not any great books. And honestly, like I can think of so many books that I've enjoyed reading from DC this year. Right, right. No, but no, like absolutely. just thinking as a whole, I'm like, yeah, but like they didn't have a breakout year. And then at the same time, I was like, I feel like Marvel had a great year. Right. And I sort of looked back and I was like, did they though? Well, <laughs> because you know, Immortal Hulk, is yeah, great. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, House of X, Powers of Ten. 
Right. Great. Yeah. Right. And again, I think House of X Part Ten was too much too quickly and and killed itself by the end. Right. But just for that start. Oh my like, god! It, it yeah. goes on the best list, right? Right. Just because the, it Absolutely. really did come out Absolutely. the gate. And like, okay, for that alone, you yeah. get the best. Right. Exactly. But like beyond that, it, it, I would say it's also had a relatively weak year. But it's just this weird thing where you're like, I don't know the the, the energy this year for comics feels really diffuse. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I feel like it's not it's it's simultaneously been a great year for comics because there have been a lot of great books but it feels like it's been all over the place yeah like three two of my favorite books of this decade came out in the last few months right 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 mm-hmm. uh, three you know uh river night hard tomorrow but also like lording keeps breaking up with me are like three all-time great books right they're just, they're just amazing they're really really great but somehow this year still feels like it's it's been a lull mm-hmm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not I, – I know exactly what you mean and I don't know – I'm not sure why that's the case because I do think that – I don't know. You know, I it, it does feel like um, apart – I don't know if that's just because apart from House of X, Powers of Ten, there wasn't a lot of consensus on – on what was great or what wasn't great. You know, mm-hmm. like I, I think there's a, for me, I think, you know, what's funny is in my honorable mention list are three Batman titles that are all very different from one another. But the end of, you know, Tom King's run on Batman, Batman Last Night on Earth by Snyder and Capullo, and Batman Universe by Brian Bendis and Nick Darrington. Throw in Dark Knight Returns the Golden Child by uh, Miller and Grandpa that did make my list. Grandpa, I, yeah, that's on my list as well. Yeah, right. You know, and that's that's four Batman books. That one of the things that's really great about that is those those books are nothing like one another, and still all have you know Batman at the center of them and recognizable. Batman and and recognizable Batman for a Batman fan it's like wow that's pretty that should be great but there are levels again at the honorable mention level for me like Tom King's uh, 100 issue run on Batman got crunched down to 85 issues and depending on how you think of it like it was you know it was it was kind of a monster truck. It was going to keep rolling, you know, twice a month, whether you really liked it or not. And, and King, there was some stuff in there that was some stuff that I really liked. I liked annual four, which came out this year, but you know, I think all of his annuals have been pretty great on his run. You know, he threw in that Batman Elmer Fudd one shot, which was pretty amazing. Just a few years back, like King's got nothing to really be, ashamed of for his Batman run. And yet, even as I'm saying that, I sort of also feel the flip side, which is that run could very well be forgotten in like 13 months, you know, like it just doesn't, it, it, I don't know if there's a comic book entropy where it's almost like, uh, it's harder for anything to feel like it sticks if only because there's like 15 other things that are flying at your consciousness at the same time. Yeah, that that's kind of it, right? Where it, it's, 
I think like I think there's an aw- an awful lot to like about Tom King's Batman run. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think it's a run that was for me like pretty untouchable through like issue sixty, mm-hmm. and then went drastically off the rails right for about you know the next twenty issues or so. Yeah, yeah. Right. At least the next, at least the next like ten. Right. You know, by everything from the um, I guess really pretty much like uh, Dick Grayson being shot through to the start of City of Bane, mm-hmm. was to some extent or another self-indulgent in a way that I wish the editor had said, what are you actually doing here? Yeah, but, but you know, I sort of get that, but I'm not necessarily sure if... I mean, and God knows you are not alone in that opinion. You know, a lot of people seem to think so. But I, I have to say there is one of his six... Uh, dream issues. Like, I mean, I'm sure that's part of what you're talking about. That's right in the neck of that, where it's like, it's not just one dream issue, it is six. And he's trying to do something with that. that... And like, like, I see what he's trying to do. Sure. And I don't think those issues are as bad as most people think they are. But at the same time, that you have that, and then you have uh, like six different issues of and then Batman returns to Gotham, but does he really like who's he really arguing with? Like it, it felt like it, it for all that I know that he was trying to get across a thematic point, mm-hmm. it felt like plot wise the book had utterly stalled. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And yeah, because yeah. he and like that's a long time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Basically stalled for about twenty issues. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, in terms of plot. And that's that is a problem. Yeah. And I like a lot of the nightmare issues. Like the the, the nightmare shoot does with Mitch Garads mm-hmm. is I really like. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's stuff when when he returns to Gotham and there's the like the double bluff of like is everything fine? Maybe everything's not fine. Ah, I really like that as well. Mm-hmm. But it, there's just I feel all of that could have been condensed. Mm-hmm. I feel totally could have gotten rid of the. Batman and his dad are on horseback dragging the corpse of Martha Wayne through the desert for three issues. Oh, yeah. yeah Storyline. Yeah. No, like, there's all this. I feel that someone needed to just be like, okay, but what are you doing? Yeah. And can you do it faster? Right. Well, and I, this is one of those things that I find uh, interesting is that, uh, you know, you and I talked in a very spoiler-free way about the wrap-up of Doomsday Clock. Um, yes. And I I wonder if, just thinking about it now, you know, you've got the 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 hairy influence of Alan Moore's beard hanging over everything uh, and dipping into people's tea. And, you know, clearly a big influence on King. Uh, obviously, yes. it has to be a big influence on Doomsday Clock. But because the nature of storytelling has changed so much i sort of wonder if there's that weird alan moore is kind of coming before what we think of as the decompressed era so there's his shit is a lot more verbose but it's also quote unquote tight you know what i mean like there's he gets he gets to go a further distance like that three issues of of Bruce Wayne and his dad dragging Martha through the desert would have ended up being one issue under yes. more. And yeah, well you say that under like Watchmen era more. Right. One of the things that I feel that um, 
the back half of King's Batman does is it really reminds me of a lot of Moore's Swamp Thing, mm-hmm. which similarly had a tendency to ramble. You know, I, I, again, back right. half in particular. Sure, 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 sure. Yeah, no, the back half is is. In, I, I actually think that the the back half of Moore's Swamp Thing is kind of a. Uh, it's funny because I there's some of the stuff that I remember pretty fondly from that that I don't necessarily know if I've re, uh, revisited recently. That that like you said, King's uh, Batman kind of reminds me strongly of. There's there's that issue, uh, the dream issue where it's uh, Batman versus the Joker, and it's Wiley e. Coyote versus the Roadrunner, and it's drawn by Lee Weeks, and there's no dialogue and. That on the one hand, I think that's a technically phenomenal issue. On the other hand, people are like, "What the fuck are you doing? This is not the place to do that," you know. And or or just kind of like, "Dude, you're killing your narrative." And there is a there is yeah. an extent where you get to the end of it where you're like, "What did what did any of that have to do?" You know. Here's the, here's the strange thing. Mm-hmm. I think that in a weird way. King's Batman was the perfect place to do that. It's just that he did it entirely wrongly. Mm-hmm. And by that, I mean, it's a book that comes out every two weeks. Mm-hmm. If you can't take a diversion every once in a while and a book comes out two weeks, especially something of the quality of the, the like, Wiley Coyote issue, yeah. then what's the point? Right. The problem is when you just take diversions for, like, six months at a time. Right. Well, or three months. Or, I guess, at 20 well, issues yeah. again. It's like, how long is that? You know? Yeah. You know that's that's the problem. Mm-hmm. You have to throw some meat to the audience. Yeah, and, and as much as I, because I, you know, I was, I said, that, you know, basically for sixty issues of, of King's Batman are untouchable, and that's not really true because you have that three part Booster Gold story uh, storyline in there, right? Before the wedding, yeah, right. And when you look back at it in here now, you're like, oh, that's when it started getting flabby. Well, but I mean, that's it. You can look at it at each chunk, and I'm like. I I feel I I honestly feel like uh, King's work kind of runs like a little biorhythm chart. It's like oh shit is tight, shit is flabby, shit is tight, shit is flabby. Yes. It's yes. just in the first fifty issues that cycle where the tight and the flabby. It's like it's maybe only two issues or three issues at a time, and then after issue fifty, it feels like it gets to be like six issues at a time. You know, well, King, or... King is also a fascinating creator to look at for that very reason. Mm-hmm. Like if you look at like the last five years, mm-hmm. right? Because there is a point where King, and we've talked about this before, King can't write around what is happening to him. Mm-hmm. So when King gets ex- exhausted. His right. work suffers. Yeah. When King believes his own hype, his work suffers. Right. When King gets criticized for something like Heroes of in Crisis, which deserves to be criticized, yeah. his work suffers. Right. Right? He can't hide it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it, it's not even that you know his ideas are suddenly bad. It's that his execution really suffers. Right. He is, he is the comic book writer version of Gladiator from the Imperial Guard. If his confidence <laughs> is up... <laughs> yeah, right. Mm-hmm. You know? Right. That's that's the thing. It, it's it's this weird thing because uh, he he can't hide what's in his head mm. at all. Mm-hmm. Hmm. It's interesting. Well, I, I, I yeah, I I think that I think that I think that's true. I also think again, it's sort of, but it also does and add a little bit to the. Um, 
I don't know. I, I I feel like there's a little bit of the despite the fact that King is is responding to the marketplace or the people in the marketplace responding to him and you can sort of see that loop. Um, I don't necessarily know that people necess- feel as connected to that loop, you know, like, and, and maybe I'm wrong, but I just, I do think well, who, that... Who are, who are the people? Well, I, I don't, I mean, I kind of... Well, when you say people don't, aren't connected to that loop, like, are you saying that creators aren't? Are you saying that King isn't? Oh, no, 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 no. Sorry, sorry. I just mean, I, I'm thinking of the readers and again, kind of that sort of... Like you said, that weird, like, there's a lot of good comics, but it feels hard to feel like it's been a quote-unquote good year for comics. You know, mm-hmm. like, there's 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 something that's so um, hard to wrap your brain around. Like, unless you get something like Immortal Hulk, which really just does seem kind of exquisite month in, month out. Yes, Immortal a, a a Hulk, which does seem consistently... Um revolutionary yeah 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 for the most part and and there's just there's very few issues that kind of feel like they flop i guess i don't know i i i just find myself feeling like there it was i'm trying to put my finger on why as you said it it's a weird it's a weird feeling year for comics and it i feel like it shouldn't be because i look at the stuff on on my list and i'm like it's all pretty pretty good stuff. Like I personally think that um, you know, something that appears to be not your cup of tea at all, uh Jason Aaron's Avengers with a variety of different really great artists is really fun, surprisingly close to being something like Grant Morrison's JLA, you know? And yet I feel like everyone is kind of like yeah, it's okay, or it's nah, not my thing, or, you know, but there's very few people who are kind of like, oh, man, this is fucking great, and I sort of feel like it's, maybe it's just like the basic level of your shit comic seems to have picked up for the most part, such that it's like you look at something that maybe five, six years ago, people would be like, oh, holy shit, and you're kind of like, oh, it's it's fine, like a mortal Hulk is kind of like, or like you said, House of X, Powers of Ten. It kind of burnt itself, but it's hard not to look at that second issues of I think Powers of Ten and not be like, holy fucking shit, you know? Like that's yeah, you know, and but that that you said like that book starts so strong, right? Well, and. Look at what it has to do. I mean, in that sense, it starts strong and it's also such a like it's it is such a dramatic reinvention of 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 the X-Men. Like it's just sort of in a way it's the next logical extension of it, but there's so much stuff where things just kind of get um Everything feels so stuck in amber in a lot of ways that I think there is there's an extent to which I am like, yeah, who cares that it's a good Avengers book? You know what I mean? Like, don't we have like dozens of great Avengers comics? You know, like I don't know. I'm I, I'm still trying to figure things out. Um, I, it's it's I, I I am consistently uh, not surprised. I don't get what you get in Jason Aaron's Avengers. I am, I, and I don't get why you don't 
get it as get well. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um, part of it is a I don't care that much about the Marvel characters, right? Like I just don't. And it's, honestly, especially that lineup of the Avengers, right? Um, I. I see the Morrison influence, and honestly, I've seen a lot of Morrison influence in Aaron, and I think like that's not something that's subtle. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. that there's a lot of Morrison and Jason Aaron superhero work, right? Um, but something that Morrison's Jaylee had that Aaron's Avengers doesn't mm-hmm. is, for the most part, it's fairly hermetically sealed. Like it's fairly coherent in and of itself. Not just in terms of there's not a lot of crossovers, mm-hmm. but also the creative team is fairly consistent. Mm. Mm-hmm. And it's telling like one story. Mm-hmm. And Aaron's story, like that, Aaron's Avengers, rather, that's not true. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has crossover with other stuff. The creative team is not consistent. And it doesn't feel like it feels like there is going to be like one story that will start in the first issue and end in the last issue. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't feel like there's one story being told all the way through. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, it feels like it takes side trips to do, like, War of the Realms or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it just, like, it, there's lots of things where I see why you're saying it, but I'm also like, yeah, but also, Jeff, X or Y or Z, and this is why you're wrong. Right. I, yeah, and I'm not, I'm kind of like, uh, maybe. I mean, I don't, I'm not sure that I oh, necessarily but, but, agree with that, per, with that oh, per se, you know, but. But also. Like, I'm really loath to do that, because part of sure. me is also like, if you love it, then you love it. Well, like, I don't want to talk of loving a comic. I don't, I, how do I put it? That, I think that's the other thing, is just like, it made my honorable mention, you know, so I clearly like it a lot, and I like reading it, but I'm, but I'm like, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily sell it on, on loving it. It's just, for an Avengers book, I find it entirely fun and readable, and, and, and having, a lot of big to it and coming up with different ways to do big stuff to it that is really, um, you know, great. Am I going to trade it for, you know, Inglehart's Avengers run, which is exactly something that like, I love? Yeah, yeah no, yeah, absolutely yeah. It, not. It's but. a fun Avengers book, which is very right. different from, like, it's my core Avengers book. Yeah, 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 you know, like I'm enjoying this while it lasts. It's very different from this is a comic I'm going to go back to 20 years later. Right. Well, yeah, except I do think in a way that Aaron's book in its big dumb way also does have a lot of, you know, he's doing a lot of mythology tying together and building, you know, his whole his whole core thesis, which is uh, essentially that, you know, Earth is special because it was infected by, you know, a diseased uh, celestial is kind of, I think my problem is, is I'm kind of like, yeah, uh, the problem with the Marvel Universe is because it hasn't been rebooted. I'm like, we've already seen like eight stories about why yeah, that, Marvel that's, Earth that's is special. Another prob- that's yeah. a, a problem with a lot of, of Marvel right now in general. Yeah. Like, I find myself not excited about um, Al Ewing's Guardians of the Galaxy that's coming up. Mm. Mm. And and that's nuts to me because I should be. Right. Because every time Al does something vaguely cosmic, it's much closer to his 2008 stuff. Mm-hmm. And Guardians is the perfect book for him to get back into that uh, you know, oh, very I, much so. Like, like, remember his Rocket series. Yes. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and yet I'm I'm just I'm not excited. And the reason I'm not excited is I'm tired of that stuff. Right. Yeah. 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 You know, like I read Incoming. Oh. Uh, you know the the this is what's happening in 2020. True Believer, like mm-hmm. preview. Mm-hmm. That was, I mean, horrific. <laughs> <laughs> and it was. It's and it's not a bad comic. It's not. Mm-hmm. Right. It's horrific because it feels like every three pages is setting up a different comic mm-hmm. for next year. Right. And every comic is setting up is something we've seen before. Mm-hmm. Every single one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, here's Kree Scroll War two. Defeat and Scroll are fighting together against a, jo- a common foe. Here's Civil War three. It's Civil War, but with kids. Here, and, you know, and it's just like, fuck. And again, like, I like how stuff. Uh, they have a they have a uh, Daredevil section in incoming, mm-hmm. and I think Chip's Daredevil is great, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, fuck. It's Elektra and Matt again. Mm-hmm. Fuck, you know, and it really is just exhausting. <laughs> right now, do you think that that would be any different if it was, uh, if if it was happening in a rebooted Marvel universe and you could sort of pretend that it was happening I, for the first I, time, or not really? I, uh, I kind of want to say not really. Yeah. Um, this week I have read. For no other reason than, like, I have DC Universe and therefore you can read whatever you want. Right. Uh, I've been reading a lot of the Dan Abnett Titans series from Rebirth. Mm. Mm-hmm. And Abnett's, like, at the very worst, a competent writer. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. And, and and can be inspired. Like, mm-hmm. Abnett's Brink or um, Lawless for 2008 stuff are some of my favorite comics of the last, like, th- few years. Um. And the comics are fine. Like, they're enjoyable. They're fine. Mm-hmm. But for the first, twi- like, it's maybe 22 issues before they, they go into, like, the post um, no justice status quo. Mm-hmm. Almost every one of those comics is basically going, we've got to set this piece of continuity back up. Right. Because we got rid of it in the new 52, but this is what fans want. Yeah. And again, that's, that's exhausting in its own way. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, but there is something particularly tiring about seeing Matt and Electra go through the motions mm. when, just like the reader does, they should also remember this shit. Right. You know? Yeah. Or another Kree Scroll storyline. Right. Because, again, they know everything we know and better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and there is just this element of. You just, I mean, suspension of disbelief has to come in at this point in the Marvel Universe in terms of, well, they've just got to forget the experience. Right. Like, they, they can't learn from experience because if they do, the story can't happen. Right. Right. You know, like the, there's the Iron Man setup, which is because in the Bendis run, Tony died and basically got like 3D printed a new body. Mm-hmm. They've now decided that Tony's actually dead because that death stuck. Mm. And now he's an AI as opposed to when he rebooted his brain in the fraction run. Right, exactly. That's, that's not an AI. Right, yeah. Well, any of the earlier times where like Tony has been rebooted or like something has happened to him, he's had to rebuild his body. None of those count. But right. this one counts. Yeah, yeah. You know, and everyone's shocked. And it's just 
like the suspension of disbelief has to come into the fine. Like my my uh, my suspension of disbelief is that they don't remember the thing that is directly relating to this, right? Um, or like the Civil War thing that what's whatever it's called the the kids you know teenagers shouldn't be superheroes thing, right? Theoretically, that shouldn't go anywhere, right? Because as much as one politician is standing up being like, should our kids be superheroes? Another politician should be standing up and being like, do you remember that Civil War thing? Right. Do you remember the last time we tried to outlaw? You know, like, and, but they can't because that would end the story. Right. 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 But it's just, it's, it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's a, uh, there's a, uh, it cuts away to Nova at one point. And Nova's like, I'm just back from the cancerverse, and I got recreated by a nihilist. And I'm like, first of all, haven't we seen him since then? And secondly, of course you did. Like, that's that's just what happens with superhero comics. But your like resurrection is a traumatic thing, but the X Men's re- resurrection isn't a traumatic thing. And you know, it's just right. It's it's too much. Mm-hmm. It, it, like, I ended up exhausted just because I was like. Okay, sure, whatever. What are you saying on this page? Fine, I believe you. What are you saying on this page? Sure, great. And and you, I just like I felt pummeled as opposed to excited. Mm. Maybe maybe that's it. Maybe that's kind of what I was talking about. There's a, there's a certain je ne sais pummeling that's happening as 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 all these universes sort of universes as the big two take you know do their best to resuscitate their franchises and um you know and and make them appealing and worth seeing and it's just it's just the nonstop um deafening crash of hyperbole you just feel like you you can't hear anything anymore you know you are yeah. in fact deaf you know to it so. yeah it's it's just like it is, there's something that is very, I don't know. Like it, it is the reason I feel so down in 2019 actually because like I've been reading comics for the last 10 years. Right, right. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. is, is that it? Is, mm-hmm. is that the problem? And mm-hmm. it might be. Yeah. It legitimately might be like I've read too much of this stuff to be excited about it. Yeah. Which is it's – a, it's a weird zone. I have to say it's a really weird – I'll be I'll be curious to see because I feel like you do a much better job um, reading uh, reading a wide variety of stuff. I feel like you read more stuff, um, but I'm also aware that since I'm older than you, I really one of the things that I sort of started feeling as I was getting closer to fifty was kind of a you know it's just. It, it's. I think your body just sort of starts anything that you love. For the most part, as you get closer to fifty, it becomes a sometimes food. You know what I mean? Like if you're not genuinely one hundred percent addicted to it, and and therefore your your physiology is won't will go into withdrawal if you don't have it. It's just anything like food, sex, sleep, comic books, like pizza. Like you're just like, okay, okay, okay. You know, like uh, that's it's like smaller portions. Like you kind of get to that point where old people are like, all they like is salt. They don't have taste anymore. They don't even like eating food. They can barely sleep. 
just give them salt. Then it's not good for them. It will kill them sooner. But it's like the only thing that they that their body's still like, no, 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 I can I can still get it up for salt, you know. So um, anyway, Graham, uh, welcome to your terrifying future. I don't think that that will happen to you. I sure hope it doesn't. But I'll be kind of curious if it does, because there are people I see who go into their 50s and 60s who just are just as passionate about this stuff as they were before, uh, I think. Um, but I, no, I, I think I think there are. It's uh, it's just uh, like I go in and out, right? And part of it is I have to keep up with this shit. Well, yeah, yeah. Like, I have to. I yeah. don't have a choice. Yep. And there are still, you know, we've talked about this before, and it's not something you can join me. In, you can join me on, mm-hmm. but. I was surprised how much I liked and was tickled by Watchmen the show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I also think of like that or or King Grad's Mister Miracle, mm-hmm. right? Where I did have the fanish excitement around that. Mm-hmm. I did the. It was a surprise. I didn't know where they were going, mm-hmm. um, and yet it wasn't just the surprise that was appealing about them, right? Yeah. There was there was an emotional response to the stories they were telling and to the way they were telling those stories, mm-hmm. um, and so ha- having that reaction to things mm-hmm. is is very exciting mm-hmm. and also very uh, necessary in a way mm-hmm. because if I didn't if I just had the like even House of X mm-hmm. House of X of Ten right was thrilling yeah for like first four issues right and then i started to get cold on it and then by the end i was like give me the sweet release of death <laughs> yeah exactly you need the you need the thing where you're actually getting excited about shit mm-hmm. because otherwise what is the fucking point of this well yeah right you know i mean that that i think i think that's actually a huge point and for myself uh, for what it's worth you know, I've always benefited uh, from moving outside the realm of the big two. I think it's kind of funny how much we talk about the big two in this podcast, knowing how much stuff that you read that moves you that is outside of it. Like, I feel like if I hadn't made the switch to mostly reading manga, I don't know if to what extent I would be... Um, revisiting comics in in the same way, you know. But similarly, hearing you talk about, you know, I mean, Kevin Hosinka's work. I, there's Eleanor Davis, the Hernandez brothers. There's the, particularly Jaime Hernandez is the one who I feel really has just had a, a stellar. Yeah, like decade. if you look at like, I mean, this this year um, was. Is this how you see me? It's mm-hmm. just. A fucking blinder but like yeah. that love bunglers next to each other yes is, right? is insane yeah it's insane. yeah absolutely you know and that far into his career is crazy i don't know if we would actually if 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 we would be able to do this you know uh two times a month plus a drock if those two times a month we were just talking about our favorite uh, indie comics and and honestly yeah, no, no, i'm way I, outside of that realm for the most part like reading the um the comics journals best of 2019 lists 
was um, kind of mortifying for me. I knew it would be, but there was a certain point where I just had to tap out and be like, I'll come back to Mor- feel... Mortifying because you hadn't read a lot of it? Or I mortifying... Ha- I hadn't first... heard of a lot of it. Like, that was... It was so... It, the, the stage at which I went from, oh, I've pretty much read everything to... Well, I've read a good chunk of things and I've heard of everything to now in the last. I mean, and it makes sense. It's, you know, like I said, in the mid 40s, I was just not feeling it. I'm not going into the comic book shop. I'm trying to put myself on budgets. And so I'm really constricting the realm of what I expose myself to. And it's great seeing these people list stuff. And I'm like, ah, this is, ah, I wish I, every once in a while, there's stuff where I'm like, oh, I wish I could read that. But there was also a lot of times where I was just like, okay, like I'll never, I'll, I'll never experience that. You know what I mean? Like, and what's weird is for a long time with comics, there was such the, there's for the first two thirds of, of my life, there was always that feeling that there was never anything you could not experience as long as you found the right store. You know what I mean? Like you go to a new store in a new city and you walk in and suddenly that one book that was published once back in 1968, the only existing collection of Barbarella in English is like sitting there for $3 on top of a bunch of old savage sort of Conan's, you know, it's, it's like, there was always that feeling of like, okay, if I don't get it, I will get to it. Like even the guys who, you know, you can't get the whole thing, but you could still like, you could still sample Crazy Cat. You could still see what was happening with Dick Tracy when somebody sure, was yeah. jumping up and down about the Cats and Jammer kids, you know. But it's kind of getting it for it has clearly gotten to that point. And I think it's an entirely good thing that comics are now have built up to a critical mass where I don't think that any one person can tackle the totality of them unless that person is incredibly devoted you know and or is getting paid to do so you know day in and day out but um but part of me is like but even so like is that is that a good experience you know like i just i it's funny how much i do have to say the difference between me at 20 2009 and 2019 is this feeling of, you know, maybe I got to get out of the matrix. You know what I mean? Like maybe keeping myself completely swaddled at not every available moment, but a lot of times of um, just like, let's have some real life. And I'm, and I do, I have more of a real life. Like Edie and I are, taking walks and doing things and there's you know all sorts of fun stuff that we get to talk about uh, later in the podcast i assume but um uh, i just find i just i don't know i do find myself being like um i look at this list of the top and on a uh, uh, top list and honorable top reads of the year or whatever and it's a it's a long list but it's almost i can tell that i'm it's one part overcompensating a little bit of like, oh, I 
I can't say that I've read like the 10 best books, but let me give you 20 great things that I enjoyed reading as a form of overcompensating. And it also does have that feeling of, ah, Jesus, you know, can I just get a, why don't I just read 10 comics next year? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's, Okay, so what do you have? Ten? Do you have ten lists? I, I, I'll tell you what. I'm going to run very quickly through my list, which is super long, and uh, I, which means see, I have nine. Oh, well, maybe we should start with you, and then we could come back to me. Well, I was hoping we could start with you, so you can give me a tenth. Okay, my nine are the River at Night, the Heart Tomorrow, Laura Dean keeps breaking up with me. Right. It's the So You See Me, House of X, Powers of Ten, which I count as one comic. Right. The Immortal Hulk, Hide and Seek, which is like the one. That people probably won't know about yeah which is oddcock and maria francis and someone else who i can't remember for the life of me um did a uh a, a zine essentially mm-hmm. uh a, a three-story anthology each of them took one story and the common theme is boys kissing boys that's it <laughs> call that's it great. i think they call it a triptych triptych which is like a, a you know yeah a tongue twister a cryptid triptych um but I, I, odd, bless her heart, sent me a link when they published it. And they published it months ago. And mm-hmm. I didn't actually get around to reading it until I was in Brazil. And I actually got stopped short by the first story in it, which is Maria Francis. Mm. Um, it is everything I want a comic to be, for want of a better way of putting it. Mm-hmm. it it's a very simple comic. Uh, it's slightly supernatural, but the cartooning in it is just jaw dropping. Mm-hmm. I mean, stopped me short, Jeff. Really. I was like, I'm just going to look at this page a lot. Mm. I'm just going to look at this page a lot, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, it really was. It was this, 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 uh, I, the best work I think we, we get, or maybe this is just me, the best comics, and River Knight did this, and Heart Tomorrow did this, and Laura Dean did this. And honestly, this is how you see me does this as well. It's work that you just, you have to slow down. Mm, you know? Mm-hmm. Just, you're just like, okay, wait, what is this? Right. Um, and and the both odds story and the, the uh, Maria France story in, in Hide and Seek did that for me. Like, really took me out of the moment. I'm reading this in fucking Brazil, in my hotel room in Brazil. But that none of that was present as I was reading this comic. Right. You know, I was I was somewhere else entirely, and it, it was it was amazing. Mm. It's amazing work. It's only available digitally. I'll send you a link so you can put it in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, it's, it's on Gumroad, and it I think it was. It might not be the case anymore. I think it was available for pay what you want. Oh wow. Hmm. Sorry, I just sneezed. Um, oh okay. Yeah, Kid Gloves by Lucy Nisley is on there, mm-hmm. is the next thing. Um, which is just, a, a, I love Lucy's, I guess they're autobio comics, mm-hmm. but they're not. They're like autobio about something. Mm-hmm. So Relish is about her relationship with the mother, as told by her relationship with food. Mm-hmm. Um, the, I think it's called Something New. I can't remember whatever, what the comic is about her getting married. Right. But really, it's about like marriage as a concept. Mm-hmm. But also about her getting married, and then Kid Gloves is about her experience being pregnant, mm-hmm. but also about like pregnancy and how 
the Western worlds or specifically America, like doesn't really like has an idea of what pregnancy is mm-hmm. and doesn't really care about reality. Mm. You know? And so it's 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 Lucy just does these things very well. And apparently she's this is the last one she's doing like mm. that. Um she's apparently decided that she's going to do fiction from now on. Mm. because she said basically that, you know, any autobiography she did now would involve her kids, yes. and her kids can't actually say that they want to do that. Yes. So she doesn't feel people doing that anymore, mm-hmm. which is, it's, I don't know, I, I think that's um, laudable, mm-hmm. but I'm also like, I'm very sad. That. I've read I've read her next book. I've read the book that's being published next year, um, and which is fiction and is really good as well, mm-hmm. but I, I'll miss her, her um, nonfiction work. Mm-hmm. And last thing on my list is Dark Knight Returns the Golden Child. Ah, yes. Which is just, I mean, it's just kind of what I want a superhero comic to be. Right. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so that's my nine. Wow. That's, a, that's, a, that's quite a list. Um, that's. I mean, that's just it. It's been a good year, but it's also been a terrible year. <laughs> like, you can't look at those comics and not be like, well, th- those are all fucking great. Right. It's not like I'm choosing bad comics. Mm-hmm. But also, like, if I think about what 2019 is, I'm like, hmm. <laughs> you know? It's okay, so what's your list? Okay, well, my list is going to be uh, – I'll, I'll try and keep any annotations that I have super brief because I my my top list is, like, 17 titles long the one thing that i will mention as a caveat back when two three weeks ago when you and i talked about the idea of doing this and you were like jeff you should just do like what you enjoyed the most because a lot of stuff that i read that i liked wasn't necessarily stuff that came out this year but is the stuff that i experienced this year and was fabulous so uh in alphabetical order no real order otherwise uh, Bad Weekend, which is the graphic novel that is the distillation of the criminal arc by Ed Brubaker, Sean Phillips, about uh, crime and uh, comic book conventions, which I thought was just a really awesomely great uh, laid out um, distillation, I think, of Brubaker's um, concerns and interests and obsessions and regrets. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like that a lot. Uh, Blank Canvas, my so-called artist journey, uh, three volumes of that by uh, Akiko Higashimura, who also did Tokyo Tariba, Terabara Girls and Princess Jellyfish. Uh, this is her three volumes of her as a slacker, uh, mostly in art school, and it's fabulous. Uh, Commute, an illustrated memoir of female shame, which I read thanks to stumbling across it on Hoopla by Aaron Williams. Uh, Super, super simplistically illustrated in a way that I found kind of annoying and bespoke at the beginning. (laughs) And I found kind of absolutely uh, devastating and direct by the end. I thought that that really did end up being sort of a uh, an, an an autobiographic novel that that sort of like you said about Lucy, Lucy Nisley has you know something to say about uh, larger concerns. In this case, literally, yeah. yeah, female shame. Dark Knight Returns, The Golden Child, number one. Enough said. Smash the Junji Ito Story Collection, Volume One, which came out in April of 2019. Junji Ito, I had read, you know, Uzumaki and a bunch of his other stuff. It had been a long time since I sat down with him and his horror stuff in Smash just 
knocked me out. Yeah, that was that was like a enjoyably creepy delight. It was very fun picking up that book, knowing that the next story was probably going to skeeve me out even worse than the previous story had, and still sort of pressing forward. <laughs> uh, Giant Days, which I didn't discover until this year, despite it being out for four or five, and despite you talking up John Allison uh, on this podcast pretty consistently for you know, at least six or seven years, I feel like. Uh, I loved it. Um, I think that there's a good case to be made to wishing that they would stop because I sort of felt like towards the end... It, it has stopped. Well, but then there's giant days as days gone by, and then there's a new... Isn't there another uh, Esther series coming up or back? Or I don't remember, but I mean... It's, I, I, think it's, I think it's like a spin-off, but it's not the main characters. Yeah, I think you're probably... Well, well here's right. like Giant Days itself is a spin-off. Yes, I know. And I know that I know that Allison uh, puts his, his universes... Um, is, is tightly integrated, which is fun, you know? But... But yeah, I don't know. Towards the end, I kind of felt like it was, it wasn't that it was running on fumes. It was more very much to me the difference between, you know, uh, classic Simpsons and kind of latter, latter era Simpsons where mm-hmm. things get like a, a little too off the rails in a way that part of what was exquisite about the, the prime years were how how much it threatened to go off the rails and was always right on there. Uh, Immortal Hulk, boof, man, what a year. Uh, Immortal Hulk has it just consistently kicked my ass. I put issue 25 here on the list, even though it's not the most recent issue, just because I thought issue 25 in particular struck me that's, as... That's like the flash forward issue, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly, which just is... Uh, which, again, I, I, we talk about more, uh, more Swamp Thing comes up a lot... Um, you know, and especially when you look at Immortal Hulk in terms of being able to take a character and um, change up the character, but then uh, have the book grow as the character changes gives it a, a really wonderful mix of feeling both organic and um, tightly plotted that I really do love. Uh, Initial D, which I made it up to about 21 volumes that's the manga series that started back in the 90s about street racing, which is a thing that I could not have cared less about. And I think is sort of a perfectly constructed manga series, as far as I can tell, at least for those first 20 volumes. Um, it, it's funny how you talk about how the books that you read that you loved were the books that sort of made you slow down and drew you into yeah exactly oh uh guess what i guess have we been talking for an hour mm-hmm. okay well should i keep talking and you and we'll hope that you stop yeah, buzzing? Yeah, that. Yeah. okay so uh so yeah so it is initial d is kind of all about speed complete with its sketchy artwork um and just endless endless number of pages of speed lines on uh roads like i mean it's really in a way the most ridiculous manga to be obsessed over but it was also really deeply satisfying uh judge dread the complete case files i mean as i mentioned in our last episode of drock i'm incredibly grateful that we are doing drock and reading through the complete case files to judge dread together because 
holy shit, it is, it almost hurts my brain to think about the fact that because we've done like 10 volumes of the complete case files, plus the restricted files, like, I guess I've read something like 3,000 pages of Judge Dredd by now, so I can't really think of myself as a neophyte. It's amazing stuff, and that's sometimes... Uh, sometimes I do wonder if part of the pallor with which the rest of superhero comics um, uh, gets viewed for, by me this year has so much to do with the way that Dread is this ridiculously impossible distillation of personal and impersonal and serious and satire and just just a comic book that somehow manages by being um, completely dialed down, manages to open up its uh, the periphery and can be a comic about anything at any time. Uh, Mars Attacks, which you and I uh, read, I think, in the early part of this year by uh, Kyle Starks and Chris... I'm blocking on his last Schweitzer. Name. Thank you. And Chris Schweitzer was a great goofy sort of a Kyle Starks comic squared in some ways. I never really liked the Mars Attacks characters, but in this weird sort of strange story that's about a father and son on the road run from the end of uh, civilization, it somehow ends up being this weird, charmingly personal story that is weirdly the sort of thing I feel like comics can pull off so much more successfully than any other medium. Um, Peter Cannon Thunderbolt by uh, Karen Gillan. And again, I'm going to forget the dude who did that one. Casper something. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, great. Uh, uh, you know, it's it was, it was a hell of a year for uh, uh, deconstructions of Watchmen, clearly. But... Um, I guess it's because it's the only one that I actually ended up reading. Um, <laughs> I, I, I just, uh, Gillen and Casper Wingard do a really interesting and fun job pulling apart, not just Watchmen, but I think the larger idea of comics deconstruction. And of course, taking, uh, taking Peter Cannon and throwing him in the middle of an Eddie Campbell comic for an entire issue was was truly wonderful and inspired. Uh, Powers of Ten, House of X, I know we count them together, but for me, honestly, Powers of Ten issue two is, in a way, sort of like Dark Knight Returns, kind of uh, almost a perfect superhero comic in that it it just takes it just manages to feel like it's blowing the doors off the hinges of everything while you're reading it um similarly uh the first two it volumes slash issues of ryoko uh which is that amazing manga done by is it eldo eldo yoshimizu uh who yoshimizu is apparently a fine artist for the most part and finally sat down and broke out his manga story of female assassins uh, that is um, just so amazing in terms of its art and its layout and its lushness. Uh, I really just, 
it was I haven't read enough manga to kind of get to that stage that I have in superhero comics where it's like, oh, this is reinventing something that I take for granted. But I could tell that it was doing so and it was doing so in a, a fantastic way. Um, Second Coming, uh, being published by Ahoy, uh, Mark Russell, and you can tell I just never bother writing. Uh, Richard Case. Thank you. Is it Richard Case? Mm-hmm. Wow. That is that is. Or amazing. is it Richard Pace? It, I want to say it's Richard Case. That seems, I don't know why, it just doesn't seem like uh, Mark Russell, Leonard Kirk, and it's Richard, Richard Case. Pace. Yeah. yeah, I'll be dang. All right, so, uh, which is a fabulous Vaunted gut-esque um telling of essentially you know uh, what if jesus met superman and uh it's it's um it's very much part of i think russell's ongoing concerns of for lack of a better term uh humanism you know the role of humanism in superhero comics which i feel like is something that you know, at least I used to take for granted as as a thing. Um, and I feel like he does a really terrific job of managing to, to recast that in in new and challenging ways. Similarly, uh, Wonder Twins, which I didn't like the first couple of issues of, but ended up loving the volume uh, overall, I thought did a fantastic job of taking the superhero, supervillain paradigm and sort of turning it on its head and, and challenging it. Uh, Vinland Saga uh, by Makoto Yukimura. Um, Graham didn't stay quite as enamored with it as I did. I still think that it is an absolutely phenomenal fucking read. And if it was coming out every month from uh, Vertigo, I think people would just be pooping themselves about it. Um, and then finally, uh, You're My Pet, which is manga that uh, is not in any way new, uh, was originally published by Tokyo Pop as Tramps Like Us. Um, just absolutely everything that I want in my romantic romance manga, which is to say um, it's funny. It's got surprisingly deep characterization. Uh, for the most part, it pulls off its ideas with a lot of finesse. Um I just, I, I loved it. I guess that's by Yoyoi uh, Ogawa. Um, great. And then as long as I'm going to mention the honorable mentions, Assassination Nation, Avengers, Tom King's Batman, Batman Last Night on Earth, Batman Universe, Chainsaw Man, Conan the Barbarian slash Savage Avengers slash Conan 2099, Zdarsky's Daredevil, Fantastic Four Grand Design by Tom Scioli, Golden Kamoi, uh, Master Kung Fu, the Epic Collection, Monthly Girls Nozaka-kun, uh, My Pink is Overflowing, which you cannot beat for any kind of title and is a, a, a incredibly sweet um, tongue bath of a romance manga, Outer Darkness, Superman slap, Smashes the Clan, and Reading Old Superman's Girlfriend, Lois Lane Comic Books on DC Universe. The end. Wow, yeah, kind of a kind of a list. I, I don't know. I, I, he, yeah. I, first mm-hmm. of all, am I sounding normal or am I still buzzing? No, you are normal. So okay, yeah, cut loose. Secondly, mm-hmm. what I love, and this sounds like sarcasm, and I swear it's not. <laughs> what 
what I love about your best of your lists is mm-hmm. that your best of your lists are always like I'm always like here's ten books, maybe nine, and you're like here's a million. <laughs> I I know what you mean, and yes, it kind of does sound like sarcasm, but but is but I but I genuinely like, mean it, like yeah. I genuinely mean it. right, right. Well, and I think I I I see your point, and I think that might be part of even as I spent the first hour kind of bemoaning the idea of just being buried, like having so much stuff that essentially nothing sticks at, anymore. Part of what's fun about comics is that idea of being able to sit down and rattle off 35 titles instead of 10. You know what I mean? Kind of great. It genuinely is kind of great. It's just – it's funny that I'm like, you know, I've got nine. And you're (laughs) like, that's good because I've got 17 and my honorable mentions is another 17. (laughs) Well, yeah, but again, I feel like – there's there's a lot of cheating involved there. There's also a lot of you very much focused on the top. Like, I don't even know if we took all the stuff that was not published this year, you know. Yeah, I mean, I literally, like, when I'm reading my nine, it's because I'm reading the nine and I have to add one more, which honestly might be Peter Cannon Thunderbolt, so I'm very glad you put it on there. Yes. Um, but, it like, I was thinking of, like, what is going to go in my top ten for THR? So it has to have been published this year. Right, exactly. Like, I, I, in fact, again, as we talked about in the previous episode, you spent a lot of time wringing your hands of being like, Pluto's great, but not enough of it came out this decade for me to <laughs> yeah. really count it as this decade. And I'm like, well, Graham, let me tell you, Judge Dredd, The Complete Case Files, the most recent volume I read was from 1987, you know exactly and it's on there yeah 77 suck it <laughs> exactly exactly so i do think sometimes i think that that is the part that can be the that is also fun about comics too is you know as we talk about like it doesn't it doesn't matter when you sit down if you you know if your brain gets blown away by like chester gold's dick tracy it doesn't it doesn't matter that that you're reading a storyline from 1944. Well, exa- exactly. Like yeah. if I think about the comics that have meant the most to me this decade, right? Like Will Eisner's Spirit has to be on there, right? 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 You no, know, because I I read that for the first time this decade and it fucking blew me away. Like it it it, it significantly changed the way I thought about comics, right? You know, right. um. But again, that's that's when I'm approaching these things. I'm literally thinking about like what was published and during this period. Well, yeah, and I and I think that's fair. I mean, especially from where you're coming from and the stuff that you're you're writing for, you know. So I mean, again, I'm glad that you appreciated my list, and I thank you for that. But I, it is absolutely worth acknowledging up front that I cheated like nobody's business. And yeah, so, or, but again, did you? Because I'm doing stuff that is is you know I'm going to be this. You're basically getting my working notes for something that I'm going to be writing, right? right. Mm-hmm. Whereas for you, you're doing the thing that we talked about, which is a best of list is really a favorites list, right? And yeah. if something is new to you this year because it's the first time you read it, it's new this year. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. well, and I think I think maybe your list is just more honest. You know, I think I think what would be interesting, it would be exhausting for you, but I think it would be interesting if you gave your favorites list here on the podcast, 
you know, not maybe not this oh, year, I, but yeah, next year. I yeah. couldn't because that would require me to pay a lot more attention to like go back and really think about it. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah. No, but it, it's it would be uh, it would be very different for a decade, right? Because yeah. my favorites list this year, this decade would definitely include like the spirit. It includes right. dread. Like would be on my top ten. Yeah. Uh, you know things that that got favorable mentions, and I also I'd probably be a lot more um, malleable with with like definitions. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd be like, well, I'm pretty sure that it's within the last decade that I read. Jaime Hernandez's uh, Love and Rockets work in right. totality. Right. You know? Yeah. So does that go on there? Because I definitely read some of it earlier. Right. Yeah, exactly. But it didn't really, it wasn't until I tackled a chunk of it. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. You know, yeah. so it, it get, but it would it'd be very different. Yeah. For sure. Well, anyway, maybe, maybe next year, 2020, you know, keep, keep track of your list I, of faves I, in a way I that you don't have to leave. You talking about like keeping track of everything you're reading mm-hmm. gives me the shivers. <laughs> like the idea of doing that is terrifying to me. But it should be so easy for you, Graham. I mean, that's the thing. All you have to do, depending on how much you want to throw, how much data you want to throw down, just at just the date and the title. You know, honestly, what I ended up doing, which made life easy for me, was I started doing it when I just finish something and then i realized i was missing the stuff that i started and didn't care enough about to never finish and then so so some of some months my list looks like i've read like nine million titles but it's literally like oh you know darth vader volume one darth vader volume one darth vader volume one darth vader volume one oh i finished darth vader volume one there you know and and it's. I would think that it would be super easy for you because you are um, even more so than me. Well, or as much as me, glued to your computer all the time. There's no. It's pretty fat. Pretty easy for you to to like just plunk something and type it up and drop it in a in a Google Docs spreadsheet. You know. Because I'll try it again because I was coughing and then I was on mute. Um, <laughs> You say that, but I'm much more flighty with what I read sometimes. What do you mean? Uh, so, like, in the last couple of days alone, I have read a bunch of, like, Legion 89, except it's not. It's, like, 91 by the time I'm reading. Right. I, um, when I say a bunch, I mean, like, six or seven issues. Mm-hmm. And then I read a bunch of Titans. Mm-hmm. But I also, in between there, read, like, the Ambush Book Stalking Stuffer. Oh, yeah. And, do you know what I mean? Like, I just read stuff. Right. But that's you know, great. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, the idea of keeping track of that is is kind of exhausting. Right. right. You know, like, what about, I, literally, what about when I'm in bed of an evening and I'm like, I just want to fucking read something. Mm-hmm. And then I read, like, you know, half of an issue of Adventures of Superman before getting bored. And then I read, you know? Right. Like, that's just, oh, no. <laughs> I, I think the difference where it might be the idea is intimidating to you is I just know you are, you are, an, I used to think of myself as a somewhat fast reader. And then, you know, doing this podcast with you really opened my eyes. You read a lot. You read voluminously. I, in a but I also like read, I read intermittently. Like I read, not intermittently is not the right word, but I, I read. Um, like you binge? No, just the opposite. Like, I skip between things a bunch. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, where literally I'll be like, okay, I've read, 
I mean, if nothing else, uh, I've talked about this before, but like DC sends out previews of all the next week's releases. Mm-hmm. Right? And they send them out. The way they do it now is they send them out and you have to read it on their, through their portal. And they're only available from Friday afternoon to Tuesday morning. Wow. Right? Um, but that means, honestly, I'm going to wake up early on Saturday or Sunday and read all of those fucking comics, Jeff. Good Lord, man. That's amazing. Right? right. Yeah. But that's a lot of comics. Seriously. Yeah. I'm yeah. reading an issue of Action. I'm reading an issue of Batman. I'm reading an issue of Detective. I'm reading an issue of Hawkman. I'm reading an issue of Flash. Like, keeping track of that? Holy shit, Jeff. Yeah, that'd be pretty scary. Uh, again, there's workarounds. There's workarounds, you know. They probably are all listed on that website. You just click and drag and you paste it special. I don't know. Graham, all I'm saying is I get it. But part of me is like maybe you would feel, well, A, I think you would probably be like, Jesus fucking Christ, I read so much stuff. But, you know, again, I sort of feel like there's that – there's that sit down with a big pile of comics feeling, which is, I think, sort of, again, that weird, you know, the poo-poo platter of comic books is how we kind of all sort of learn to love it, you know. And whether that's sitting down with like seven issues of, of a book that you've fallen behind on, but you're loving and you're going to keep going. Like, I think I mentioned to on Twitter, and I'm sure you saw it, is – uh comiXology unlimited is doing this thing where i don't know what the fuck marvel's trying to do i mean i can guess but they're they're basically like read three star wars comics from this list by this date and we'll give you five dollars off your next purchase of fifteen dollars of marvel comics so it's literally we will pay you to read star wars books and I was like, uh, do I really care that much about five bucks? And part of me is like, Meh. so I looked at the list and I'm just, I'm up to my ass in Karen Gillan's Darth Vader, which, as you know, everyone really loved and was pretty great. And I'm reading it. And I'm like, I'm loving it. This is pretty great. Uh, it's sort of like, oh, but of course, like, they're like, oh, they're like, I checked out the two of the Darth Vader uh, trades, each one is 12 issues each. I'm like 18 issues of Darth Vader. Yes. I don't know why they decided. Like, I figured that it would be, you know, a six-issue arc, six-issue six arc, and then boom, I get to move on, read something else. But no, it's like 12 issues of it. And the second trade is all of Vader down, and then the rest of Gillen's run. So it's like 450 pages of this stuff. And I, don't get me wrong, I really enjoy I enjoy Gillen's Darth Vader. Uh, it and Thunderbolt are by far my favorite things by by Gillen ever. But oof, I, Salvador La Roca art, like kind of again, it's. No, no, it's it's um, it's, it's a, a thing. Yeah, yeah, it's it's just... a thing. Like you actually do have to like read them despite Laroga. Yeah, it's stunning. Like you're like, oh, this is good. This is alright. This is alright. At a certain point, it's like, God damn, that guy has like nothing. It's just, ugh, it's like scanning 
I'm not sure it's just LaRocca, though. I think the colorist does not help at all. Because there's ones that it really does feel like trace photographs. Well, and yes. the coloring is a big problem there. Well, see, it's it, it's it's a weird... Like, uh, it, what it reminded me of is, you know, like, the great thing about uh, Lin, Ligne Claire uh, is that the, the line weight is all the same, and then you actually use the color to sort of help give it snap and pop, right? And so it's, when it's perfectly balanced, it's this aesthetic joy. La Roca is kind of like Ligne Claire from hell, because the colorist can only do so much. And La Roca, it's not like everything has the same line weight. He just always has the same lines on the fucking page. Like, it's just like reading, it's like wallpaper from hell if you read more than four issues of it. Because it it just, oh my god, my eyes just start to bleed thinking about it. Like, I'm like, okay, he's putting, he's putting on some, he's spotting his blacks. His blacks are on the page. Why do I want to gouge my eyes out? And it's because every single, he's like, it's the, like you said, it's the, here's the photo tracing. Here's the wispy pencil lines for the character faces. Here's the, you know, Photoshop clip art that's been hit with like nine different filters to feel like it uh, isn't like a posed model. And it just, and then it's seven pages, you know, it's again, it's I'm at like 18 issues into it. And I will read three pages and then put down the, the book slash iPad being like, I, I, I literally queasy from reading so much um, unbalanced art, which is amazing because I didn't really think that I had any sort of um, ability, aesthetic perception whatsoever when it came to that sort of thing. But oof, it's bad. It's really bad. It's I feel I can't imagine. I feel like they should do an experiment where they lock a bunch of people in a room and make them read like Greg Land's X-Men until they just go insane and seeing how many issues it takes because it's just it's just not good. Oof. Oh, it's painful. Anyway, um, now you've just made me go, wouldn't it be great if you could have like Greg Land and Salvador LaRocca draw the same script? Oh, Jesus Christ. That would be amazing. It's weird how much I confuse them because honestly, they're not really the same people at all. And I got to give it no, up not for, you know, I feel like LaRocca really does, uh, uh, for the most part, like is more of a storyteller than I think of Land. Like there's... Angles and change-ups and things. LaRocca is not as married to the photo reference. As much as we are dinging him for the photo reference, LaRocca can work without it and work around it in a way that Lance can't. Yeah, absolutely. And so, but there's also weird times. Like, there's just a lot of, uh, man, there there are action scenes there that are just strangely limp in a way that I spend a lot of time trying to figure out. Because, again, LaRocca, like Land, is someone who's, whose work I've seen in other contexts, like X-Men, for example. And I'm like, okay, that was not... Yeah, like you said, he's not as married to it as Land is, but maybe because he's in such a hurry on the Darth Vader stuff, or he's not really inspired. <laughs> but every once in a while, I'm like why it's it's almost like a rob liefeld fight where it's like 
why is everyone jumping at each other backwards? You know, like you just can't <laughs> figure out what's happening there at all. So anyway, it's it was it was a, it's a thing. People, if you have Comixology Unlimited and you want to earn five bucks from reading Star Wars, this is the future of comics. Marvel Marvel pays you. <laughs> right. it was, it was, Marvel pays you to get their metrics up. You know, the thing that's really weird, though, is it's also um, – it's a lot of older stuff. Like, you know, because, of course, I posted this on Twitter and a lot of people are like, yeah, you'd have to pay me to read Star Wars. I'm like, I thought people liked Marvel Star Wars. And of course, once what's his doodle came in and kicked off Chuck Wendig. And I think a lot of people really are not digging the Star Wars books, but, but yeah, re reading this early stuff, I'm like, Oh, this is, this, yeah, this is, this is pretty decent. Like, this is fun. This is that uh, Darth Vader is really like, Gillen does a really goddamn good Darth Vader. Graham, please talk about something else. I just don't want to keep talking about Darth Vader. I don't know what else I, to I, talk about. I want to keep talking about Kieran Gillen and Darth Vader, and I think we should just keep doing it. I will say this very quickly before we move on. Um, I I really do love Gillen's uh, Darth Vader, and it kind of has two spinoffs, which is great, which is right. Gillen goes on to the main Star Wars title, mm -hmm. and I think does a great job. Mm -hmm. I love Gillen Tron in the main Star Wars title. Mm -hmm. um, but also the Doctor Aphra series that he starts and then Sice Burrier takes over right. um, is, is a good read as well. It's 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 fun. It's distinctly more throwaway. Right. But in a way that is just very enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no, I, I get it. Like there's a lot of um there's a lot of stuff that does that doesn't normally fly for me uh in in Gillen's work. Uh that really works on Darth Vader. And I think he's got just such a, he's just, he, he writes the character just really goddamn well. So it's, um, yeah, it's, it's an absolute hoot of a read. And honestly, one of the three books that I was going to read was the first Dr. Aphra trade. And I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I really am. Cause it's, uh, it's again, a kind of 2080s that Star Wars, like right. one of the things I like about Aphra and, and Gillen, like her presence in Gillen's Darth Vader is that it is a kind of 2080s like Star Wars. Mm -hmm. You you have, I, how far are you in, in, well, I'm like 18 issues. I'm okay. So, yeah. so you've met like, you know, murder C3PO. Yes. Which is and, great. And like, yeah. And punk Chewbacca. Yeah. Like, I love that. I genuinely yeah. love that thing. So for the first, I, at least six issues, it might be longer, uh, of Doc Graffer, it's Kev Walker from 2000D drawing as well. Mm. And mm. it's just, it's a fun sort of like, what if 2000D, uh, sorry, what if Star Wars was a bit shittier? Well, or or how do I put it? Like, I feel I feel that most people who are aware of the the camp aspects of Star Wars tend to oversell it. And one of the things that I really like about Gillen's Darth Vader is I feel the camp is is perfectly on point. Like, yeah, it's it's very present, but it's not the focus of it. Yes. Yeah, it's not the focus of it. And it runs a couple of different ways. Like, so it really is, you know, murder C-3PO is just a great character. You know, it's the, just hands down taking taking C-3PO and R2-D2 and turning them into homicidal 
bloodthirsty droids while still having them talk and act like C-3PO, R2-D2 is great. It's just such a really smart idea. And there's a, also, it's very funny. Yes, exactly. In the way that C-3PO and R2-D2 are supposed to be, I guess, you know? And so being able to put it within within that context, it's like, oh, goddamn, this is really enjoyable. And so there's a, there's a lot that Gillen does in Darth Vader, you know? And again, Vader sort of I, it, it's funny how much I feel like your my discussions with you about Doctor Doom in uh, during the Baxter Building podcast, where you're like, "Well, yeah, but Doctor Doom's always a bit camp and he's a bit shit," and that's 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 the sweet spot with him, which I don't agree about at all. But seeing Darth Vader, there's a lot of shit with Darth Vader where. Um, where Gillen writes him in a way that's camp, how do I put it? Not funny camp, but very much about the idea of he's aware how that character is posturing. And he's also very much aware of how much the character is about his silences, I guess, mm-hmm. and how much... Yes. His pre- about how Vader uses his own presence as a particular form of interacting with people. And Gillen, which again seems like a very, for lack of a better term, camp way of understanding the character. And it, and it pays really huge dividends. On top of that, I do think that the, the, the other angle, the stuff that uh, sometimes I don't, I feel like Gillen has a real strong tendency to over-egg the pudding, um, for lack of a better term, uh, generally. And on Star Wars, that really works. You know what I mean? Like, he's got a lot of stuff. Having the character, uh, having Vader and the Emperor interact uh, with each other in a way that you um, is informed by Lucas's prequels... Um, Gillen really gets how to take that relationship and and run with it as a story generator in a way that feels very um, natural. Like, as you know, there's a few great scenes where like um, uh, where um, essentially Vader figures out who Luke Skywalker is and his reaction to that is really terrific is is perfectly that perfect mix of over the top but understated yes you know? I, I actually love that i love the end of the first i think it's the first uh, the first old collection like six issues in or something exactly anyway, yeah where it's a scene that plays in both books mm-hmm. it's a scene that plays in Aaron's star wars as well yeah they just get him realizing like it's luke skywalker yeah exactly uh, it is a lovely lovely scene and in it's less so as the series progresses, but like that scene in particular, you feel like it could have slash should have been in one of the movies. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Very much so. Very much so. And, and I think that's the part that, um, you know, again, reading something like Vader down, like I was kind of like, Oh yeah, everyone's kind of, they've got, 
they've got a real good take on the voices and the characters and what they want to do with the movies. And they somehow managed to do the right level of, oh, here we are alluding to the prequels without like, I don't know, doing whatever it is that it seemed to me that Dark Horse no, had no, it, a it's, to it's do. Very, um, it's very much playing uh, like uh, – I'm trying to think of a good way of saying this. The, <laughs> well, the Vader series and Gillen's Star Wars run mm-hmm. take what are essentially existing gaps of narrative. Yes. And filling them in in such a way that feels entertaining. Mm-hmm. Like the Gillen Star Wars run pretty much just goes, well, the end of Star Wars, all the rebellion is happy. Right. And at the beginning of Empire, they're fucked and they're hiding out on a snow planet. Right. Why? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, what's the reason for that? Which, it just, I don't know. It works, but it helps that, like, it also feels like a story. Do you know what I mean? Well, yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. I, I thought, I felt that there was a lot of, um, yeah, going back and coloring between the lines. I mean, the thing that's ironic is is that it's really Marvel going back and doing the comics that Marvel did. Yes, it's so strange. That you they know, might go back like the same era. Yeah, yeah, go back to the same era, except because they actually know kind of where they're going. They know how to create you know, more gaps, like explore those gaps and do fun things in them. So, yeah. Oh, no. It, uh, let's just say I was not expecting to spend the last podcast episode of the year talking so much about Star Wars comics from like three years, four years, five years ago. I don't even re- see. This is my problem. This is why I couldn't do best comics no, of the they're, decade. They're from, they're from like 2015. Oh, okay. Thank you. I was like, they're, they're not, they couldn't have been that old, but at the same time, I'm like, well, isn't it's the walking dead stopped publication this year after being published for 27 years of continuous publication. Hurrah, you know, or were they published for 10 years? I just, I don't know. Graham, we, it's, it's about an hour 45 in. I know that everyone was really excited that I got to talk about Star Wars comics from 2015 and even drag you into it. But are there other things? Are there better ways we could be spending our time? What do you what what do you think we should be telling the listeners in this our crucial last podcast of the Jeff, year? Is, is that a leading comment? It, me? Do I? Is that a thing you, I do? <laughs> I don't know. It's just the way you said it. It was like. I was like, Jeff, are you trying to say something in particular? Coming up at the top of the hour, our favorite picks for Batman. (laughs) Anyway, uh, yeah. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, no. This is terrible. (laughs) Yes, yes, Uh, I I kind of was. I'm going to pivot entirely. Okay. Uh, Well, kind of entirely. Did you have a good holiday period? Because, like, we're recording this between uh, what I've seen so many people on Twitter. And Twitter, I love you, but please stop saying this. I know it's a liminal space between Christmas and New Year. We all know that. There's no need for everyone to tweet that as if that is somehow a new idea. Thank you very much. Nonetheless, we're recording between Christmas and New Year. Um, did you have a good Christmas? Oh, you mean the millennium or, or however they were referring to it? I love that. Oh. I didn't see that. Yeah, no. yeah, yeah, yeah. The, t- talking about the New Year taint. Uh, God, what was what was the other term? Anyway, it doesn't matter. But the, yes, the Millennium. I didn't see that. And that's good because I would have destroyed. Well, I would have <laughs> 
<laughs> You're like, I'm trying not to hang up on you. You know, Christmas uh, on a Wednesday kind of things sort of were for me, essentially they were kind of shit because we, uh, unlike previous years, my job would normally like if Christmas fell on a Tuesday, they would give Christmas Eve off and then you'd have like a super long weekend. Similarly, if it gets to a Thursday where uh, where it's Christmas Eve, they'll give us like Boxing Day off four day weekend. But apparently if Christmas is on a Wednesday, they're like, fuck you guys. You have to be here Monday, Tuesday and Thursday, Friday unless you are specifically taking your own personal bank Ooh. of time off. So Ooh. I had a bunch of people in my department who were like, see ya. So it was me and the few people who were like, oh, I guess I'm working. And we essentially showed up. And I mean, what was good was it certainly allowed me to put together a Google Doc containing my 35... <laughs> picks of 2019 but on the other hand it kind of sucked and then on christmas day what was originally supposed to be Edie and i being like oh we'll just have our moment of being a christmas couple and it'll just be the two of us my mom was like hey check me out see you in two hours and so it was a lot of cleaning and organizing and then my mom showing up and being my mom and then after she left we had, I don't know, a couple hours, and then it was like, okay, well, I'm, I'll get ready for bed because I have to be at work. I have to get up for work at like six forty-five a.m. tomorrow. I, I, I've got to be honest. I thought of you a bunch. I took Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday off. I'm so and, glad. Um, I thought of you a bunch because not only on Thursday I was like, oh god, Jeff's working today, but also Friday, mm -hmm. I was like pulling teeth. Working yeah. was really hard. The idea that like you were doing that for every day this week apart from Christmas Day, yeah. I was just like, oh, God, that poor fucker. Uh, well, honestly, I feel like the poor fuckers were the people who were working with me because there was a certain amount of – there was barely anything. So we all just kind of sat around. Thursday, I was so goddamn exhausted. No matter what I do, I could not wake up. But every once in a while, somebody would be like, hey, could you? And I'd be like, fuck you! You know, like, and that was that was awful. Like, I was the worst employee ever. I mean, I did the work, and I didn't hopefully show them, but I suspect my eyes really showed them, like, fuck you, how dare you? Just let me sit here, you know? So, yeah, good times, my friend, good times. But, yeah, so Friday was, like, I'm sure, like, pulling teeth for you. And it's the same. It's going to be the same with New Year's. We're going to have New Year's Day off, and then we're going to expect it to be there on. But the thing that the thing that's also crazy is because the senior members of my department, understandably, are like, "I have the time off. I'm going to take it." We're actually really short staffed, so it's like you go in, and it's really easy for us to get completely overwhelmed with work, just because we're we're at half power, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we'll see. My hope is, is but that... on the plus side, then holidays are over and everyone's going to be back at work. Right. Exactly. And we're back to it. And then there's other things that the firm does that I think is they have. We've got like normally there's like two holidays in January and two holidays in February. And I feel like that really exists partially as much as as much as I do want to honor the memory of Martin Luther King, I, I suspect that part of it is just making sure that people 
have some time off and can kind of change gears back into doing their work again, sort of gently. But so yeah, not whereas, great. Whereas for me, the holidays go over, and I'm literally like fucking January. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, but I know it's fair. I hate New Year as well. So yes, I know, and well, I'm fascinated because, of course, you had such a busy fucking December. Like, will January and February be quiet for you because there won't be a Star War? Um, yes, but here's the funny thing, and I this is legitimately first world problems. Mm-hmm. So my December was absolutely nuts because Brazil kind of just knocked me off. Sure, yeah, like, yeah. I, I they just knocked me off my rhythm. Mm-hmm. Just for Christmas, I got an invitation to go on a trip to Jamaica. <laughs> what? Because, because Jamaica's uh, one of the settings for the new James Bond film. And it was like, do you want to go to Jamaica for the middle of January? And I honestly was like, no. Yeah. It would fucking kill me. No, you've got to do it, though, Graham. Oh, no, my God. No, no. Oh, come on. Really, seriously. I'm not joking. I had such a good time in Brazil, but it did, like, suck. No, I know. Me. I know. I know that it uh, – you, you just you, – you're just now and – and, and the idea of, like, going on another trip yeah. in January terrifies me. But I could not stop laughing at the uh, – where's the email? I've got. I can't find the email. And the email was more or less like, "Hey, isn't isn't January shit? Why don't you come to Jamaica?" Right. Right. And I was like, "Are you fuckers?" Really? <laughs> I don't know. So yeah, man. Jan- January, January, February should be um, right. Should be better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, good. I hope so. You definitely deserve it after after a crazy December. A crazy. Uh, did we talk? Did we talk? We didn't talk about. Star Wars, like, quote-unquote, on air, did we? No, we didn't, because you hadn't seen it. And I still haven't, by the way. And we basically had a, like, uh, you know, we'll talk about it after you've seen it. And you were like, yeah, I don't want to know that much about it before I see it. Right. So, no, we didn't. And also, you don't have Disney Plus, right? No. No. So we can't talk about The Mandalorian either. Uh, I mean, you can. Did you like it? Uh, In the end, yes. Okay. It feels Uh, like in the end a lot of people did, but... Yeah. Well, here's the thing. So it seemed like it was legitimately unconnected storytelling. Right. Uh, eight episodes long. Seems like it's utterly unconnected storytelling after like the first three episodes, and then it right. looks like it's Adventure of the Week, right? right. Mm-hmm. Where literally Mandalorian comes into town, there's a problem, he deals with the problem, there's like a sidekick of the episodes, and then he moves on. Right. And then second last and last episode is a two-parter, and it's basically let's get the gang together to sort out the problem from the start of the season. Mm-hmm. And the gang is the characters you met in those unconnected episodes. Ooh. So you're like, oh, it was a it was telling one big story. That's fun. Uh, it is fun, and that's why I liked. Like, I really appreciated that. I really appreciated the idea that like it's it goes towards like, oh, you thought it was story of a week, and it's not. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's it's we are we are going to pay this off. Um, but also, this last episode in particular wraps things up really well insofar as you kind of wanted a happy ending. Mm-hmm. Uh, not just because, like, honestly, like, people are not joking when they talk about Baby Yoda being really cute. Mm-hmm. Like, well, you genuinely don't want anything to happen to that character because it's cute as shit. But also, it would feel oddly cruel. Right. And, like, second last episode kind of hints strongly that a there's a dark side to baby yoda and b he's probably going to die wow and and 
going into it, I was like, but they can't. Like, they legitimately can't. They're going to upset so many people. That would be a terrible idea. And, spoilers, they don't. Mm-hmm. Like, it has a happy ending. Mm-hmm. But not only does it happen a happy ending, it actually pays off a number of jokes, references, various moments from the earlier episodes in the season. Wow. We were like, shit, that wasn't just like a one-off joke. Mm-hmm. Like, that was actually laying groundwork for this moment. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it, it ended up feeling like a very smart season, a very mm-hmm. smart piece of writing overall. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. That's fabulous. Yeah, I, I, I liked a lot. I, it's, there, it, it still has a lot of flaws. This is, I'm kind of where at this point with, with work in general right now. By which I mean, like, other people's work. Mm-hmm. Where something can have a lot of flaws and I can still appreciate it. Right. You know, it doesn't ruin it for me. And, and Mandalorian is flawed mm-hmm. bad in many places. But overall, I'm like, I basically felt good watching it. Sure. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. So on that similar flawed, but you can appreciate it, I know that you saw Cats in the theater. So um, yes, that must have been the same experience, clearly. Sure, that was definitely the experience. Cats was so I um I I'm like where do I start with cats? Um, let, okay, so the, I'll say this about cats. Mm-hmm. I met um YouTube filmmaker slash like just very smart movie person Patrick Williams uh for for lunch at San Diego. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, we were basically talking about, you know, the year ahead, blah, blah, blah. And he was like, I, I, you know, the film I'm most looking forward to is Cats. And I was like, Cats looks terrible. And he goes, yeah, but Cats won't be boring. It might be a disaster. It might be a horrendous abomination of a movie. It might be filled with wrong, bad decisions. At least it's not boring. And Jeff, it's boring. Yeah, yeah. That's Once you get over how genuinely shockingly bad the music is, I had no idea. I've never seen the stage show, so I genuinely had no idea right. how bad the music of Cats is. Mm-hmm. Um, when you get over that, and when you get over how bad the CGI is, and I don't mean in the sense of like, haha, they didn't finish some characters, although they didn't. Right. I mean in the sense of they can't even do like convincing long shots where characters are in the same s- scene. Wow. Like you're like, that looks like bad green screening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, like it's it's weirdly shoddy special mm-hmm. effects, but once you get over that, there's nothing to the film. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like at all, right? I really did end up bored. Mm-hmm. Um, I was I think I was alone in being bored. However, the, <laughs> so I had, the, I, there were more people seeing Cats on a Monday after release than were seeing Star Wars in the night of release. Well. Yes, but wasn't the whole part of it being, for those in the know, wasn't that Monday the last day to see the unpatched version of Cats? I'm fairly sure I saw the patched one. At first I thought I saw the unpatched, but then I saw people who had seen both versions talk about it, Uh, and I think I saw the patched one. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Huh. Interesting. So you did not see Judy Dench's wedding ring, apparently. Well, that's just it. I did, but apparently that's in the unpatch. That's in the patch version as well. What? The yes. fuck? Really? Yes. Shit. Huh? Okay. Um, apparently that's in there, and but apparently like more obvious flaws are gone. Wow. Wow. It's, okay. But I mean, it's 
it's bad enough that it's not like uh you know haha it's so bad it's good it's just bad mm-hmm. and it's bad enough in a way that makes you feel sorry for people in it and i don't mean the stars although idris elba lord knows what he was thinking um he plays mccavity who's like the villain right and he teleports and at one point he literally teleports by going mccavity <laughs> <laughs> um but like i i couldn't help but think after a while of all the for want of a better way of putting it main characters who aren't stars who probably went into this thinking that's it i'm in this fucking you know big film with judy dench and idris elba and ian mckellen right i I, my ticket's the big time and whose careers are probably just fucking toast for a while after this film well we'll see we'll see i mean maybe you're right but you know i mean some of them they look like cats i don't necessarily know what some of those non-star people look like without you know a fucking cat face on. Oh, like, sure. Unless yeah, there's yeah. a scene where they walk around without it. Like, you know what I mean? Like everyone that you recognize, you of course recognize, but there were a couple of them where I was like, beats me. Like, you know what I mean? Like, hopefully they can find work again. Uh, it's tough. Cause right. I know there yeah. was a couple of them where they're like, and introducing blah, blah, blah as yeah. blah, blah, blah. And, and that's what I mean. Like, yeah. I feel like, like having been introduced in cats is not going to do their careers any favor, yeah. which is a shame because no one performer is to blame for cats. Like cats is just so many bad decisions. Well, and I, and I think like, oh, yeah. folds it on top of each other. And I, I've, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like that certainly seems to be the emphasis. Like I've never heard anyone. I mean, apart from, Apart from you bad mouthing Ian McKellen, like uh, for that man has never seen a cat. <laughs> <laughs> He's looked up Wikipedia, and I like someone probably said, "You know what cat? You know what my cat does?" And he's like, mm, "I will remember that." Yes. But the way he acts in that film, uh, it's, it's I don't know it's who who the fuck knows. My favorite like bad CGI moment mm-hmm. uh, is at the end of the film. The main character uh, is is nuzzling Judy Dench, uh-huh. right? Because they're doing the cat thing where they're putting their heads together, nuzzling. Uh-huh. And the animators clearly realize that the way her head is moving, her ear would interact with Judy Dench, right? And they just thought, "Fuck it," and <laughs> it just has, it's like might as well be a hologram. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe you missed the secret meaning behind that, Graham. Maybe maybe the secret meaning is is none all of those jellicles ascended and and they didn't even know it. Have you have you seen the show? No, I ha- I don't. I've only read enough it's, things to. I'm just yeah. like you know about jellicles and ascending. <laughs> well, I didn't even know about that. That's the other thing. I I said the music's terrible, and also whoever chose the arrangements mm. for this this film needs to be shot <laughs> just in the knee. Like not so anything dangerous, but, <laughs> but they thought like it's it's like it's a musical from the early eighties or something. What if we just go really heavy on the synths to make it sound like it was recorded in the early eighties? No, oh, that's such a bad choice. Like oh. it's, it's like, what are you doing? What? Why would you do this? So like it sounds dated. Um, but um, the there's a point where like they they start singing, and I had not realized. How and I I've seen Jesus Christ Superstar. Yes. I know what's the buzz, tell me what's happening, why do you want to know, don't you care about your future? I know all of that. Right. 
I no, still not realised how bad Andrew Lloyd Webber's lyric writing is. Mm-hmm. The lyric sheet for Cats probably reads like the worst sixth form poetry that's ever been written. <laughs> not least of which because it's, it's exceptionally verbose and there is no rhyme scheme to it because it doesn't fucking rhyme. Oh. Well, is that, I mean, I, I don't know if you know, but is that, is, did they just put, take Elliot's uh, poetry and just set it to music? At first, at first I thought they did and uh-huh. I was like, that's the same grace. But there's, there's songs later where that's clearly can't be the case. Right. Cannot be the case. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, because they're far too like aware of the song structure, if that makes sense. Right. It's far too self-referential to actually just be T.S. Eliot's thing. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's 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 terrible, Jeff. It's the short version. Wow. It's terrible. Great. Well, I'm I'm so glad that you saw it. I'm very sad. I there's there's a lot of movies out that I want to see, and we have been so busy. I have seen genuinely absolutely none of them. I haven't seen Knives I, Out. I, haven't I, seen I, Star yeah, Wars. That's the first thing I saw. Yeah, it, third, it's on a week. Because mm. I saw Knives Out, uh, Star Wars, and then Cats within the same week. Wow! See, and that's Which is so rare for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Seriously, I think I'm envious. I'm glad you did it, uh, and I'm clearly, I'm clearly overdue for a trip to the theater. So, uh, Graham, uh, we're kind of down to the wire. Are we going to talk about you know? Oh, sh- okay. Shall we talk? About have you the- have you figured out a way? To, and should I go first? Do you or or no, how would we work first? Because okay. I'm. Cause here's the thing listeners whatnots um jeff and i have both had like really big 2019s like personally we've, yeah. we've had really uh tumultuous is maybe not the right word um mm. but like there have been big changes yeah. in our lives and we have not talked about them on the podcast right for different reasons i think it's worth pointing out yes um and we had this we had this conversation what a month ago yeah maybe more where we were like We've got to talk about them, but it's now, at least for me, so long since the thing happened. <laughs> I know. It was weird. Like, it was genuinely weird that, like, what turned into, I don't want to talk about it because it's it's still happening and it's really fresh and it's really difficult. Right. Then just turned into, like, well, how do you bring it up? You can't casually bring it up. Mm-hmm. So we decided, let's do it at the end of the year. The only problem is there's also no way to casually bring it up then. Yeah. Because we started talking about fucking comics. Unusually for us, we actually were on topic. From <laughs> sort of it's true. It is totally true. Um, so this, I'll go first. Okay. Because yours is all – the other thing is like yours is happy. That's like, right. It's all, and mm-hmm. mine is like um, ambivalent. Yeah. Ambivalent you... ending in good. Yeah. Which is, uh, this year I got a divorce. Yes. I, I got divorced at the start of the year. Yeah. Um, and like I said, like, I didn't want to talk about it because it was, oh, lots of reasons. Like, I felt ashamed and I felt like it, um, I felt very ambivalent about what was happening and, and, and the whole thing, the whole process. And also, to be honest, it felt like a bummer to talk mm-hmm. about on the podcast. Right. Right, um, but there was a period at the end of last year where, like, I was recording episodes in hotel rooms and I was recording episodes in like, like closets of apartments I was staying in and stuff. That's right. Mm-hmm. I just didn't make any reference to it mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was like Jeff and I were obviously talking about it off air, but like that was my choice. My choice was I don't 
think I can talk about this. I, mm-hmm. I, I, it's, it was much. It honestly, doing the podcast was was really good for me mm-hmm. because it was like a good way of not thinking about all of that shit for a while. Yeah. Um, like you, Jeff, you know this. Like mm-hmm. it really, like it was, it was a weird therapy. Yeah. Um, to do the podcast and to not think about all that. Um. So yeah. So that's that's kind of how the year started for me, and. I am in a much better place now, mm-hmm. like infinitely so. Yes, um, I'm in a new relationship with someone that it's this weird. So people who follow me on Twitter might have worked this out because I've never said it on Twitter either. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm I'm in a relationship with Chloe Maviel, who is also a comics journalist and also on Twitter, and we sort of like talk about going to movies together and stuff. Yeah, but I've never been we're dating. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, things things are. In fact, anyone who follows me on Twitter this week in particular, yes. we'll see what she got me for Christmas. Oh my God! Well, see, and that was I was actually I did the closest thing I have to a follow up question was the did anyone be like, hey, um, no. this person no. gave you an amazing Christmas present? No, yeah, no. Um, which I honestly. Thank you for everyone who might have thought that and not said anything, because I would have been like, okay, I guess I've got to go into all of this. Yes. Um, no, I'm. I, the end result is is a positive one. I like. I'm in a much healthier mental and emotional place. Uh, I'm in a much healthier relationship. Yeah. Um, like it. It ended good, but there was a point where, like, I was not good, and things things were really stressful and things were really in, in flux and 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 i i you know jeff and i talked about it a, a bunch and and i even remember jeff you were like if it was me i'd tell everyone i'd talk about the yes. podcast all the time yep. and that always felt like no like <laughs> I, I, part of it is as you said at the time like you know i'm just i do just kind of keep that sort of stuff to myself in general mm-hmm. like i i am just much more like private about that sort of thing yeah but also, it felt like such a downer for the podcast. Right, right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, and I think it it would be, it's it's a hard gear. I think especially when you're in that transition, I, I feel like it's really, I think one of the things that's great is, you know, having had the chance to meet Chloe and having had the chance to see you uh, in this new phase in your life where you've transitioned and it's sort of clearly for the better it is it's a lot easier to be like oh yeah it, it feels in a lot of ways like a happy ending but but there was also a lot of processing going on where you're in that transition and that's just i think that's the thing that's kind of um you know you're not quite in the oh this is this is falling apart and therefore i can talk you know i can sort of talk about falling apart or things haven't come back together like you said there there's it can be really hard to figure out how to talk about transition when you're in mid transition yeah yeah exactly you know? and and but it was just uh it was this thing where like i just i didn't feel comfortable talking about it yeah um, but then it really also turned into this thing where, like, there was also no way to, like, casually bring it up either. Yes. <laughs> you and I were talking about it. We're like, okay, but how do you – like, at some point we've got to say something, but how do we say something without it being like, and now a very special message? Yes, exactly. Exactly. Which is why I, I really am glad that we figured out that we could sort of talk about it 
at the end of the year, you know, since that's, we're summing you know, up the year. It, yeah, it's the big thing for the year because it is. It's, it's yeah. the big thing for, for me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's. Uh, I I am I am infinitely happier. <laughs> yes. Um, and it's it's much better. I should say, for the benefit of the whatnots, um, like I genuinely could not have gone through this last year without Jeff. No. Oh. Like, Jeff, you have been so supportive. Uh, of me during this, well, that there is, yeah. there is like I genuinely can't imagine have gone, have having gone through this without uh, you to talk to, complain to, right. uh, tell me that you know people, including myself, were being ridiculous. Like all of that has been, like I, 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 it's beyond invaluable. Like it's I, it, I am so grateful oh. for. For your presence in my life this last year. Well, I, I really appreciate that. I'm glad. I'm really that that of course means a lot to me. And you know, it's without being too glib, ditto. You know, like there was there was a really tough transition there, uh, losing my dad, um, tough transitions at work. Like I do, I really am grateful that we've we've. Uh, that I've been able to be there for you because you've definitely been able to be there for me. And uh, I'm, I'm really glad it's been really interesting and wonderful. Uh, the thing that I think that viewers may not know, well, wouldn't know because they don't hear us talk off air, but it's, it's never, um, you know, uh, like part of me is like, you're not missing much. Like there's a certain different level of gossip maybe, but you know, I think Graham and I are we're we're close, but we're very much close in sort of the same way that we are on the podcast. And it's been really wonderful uh, being able to hear to to have you kind of open up a little bit. You know, and I don't think that that necessarily means that we're going to get you know. Um, crazily private stories from you now on the podcast but yeah that's that's yeah i yeah. still think we're we're quite some sometime on many years of therapy away from that job <laughs> but but i do i do appreciate that there is there's been a a lot of um uh just just the ability to to tell you that i care about you and i'm really i'm really glad you're in my life and i'm really glad that you that that we're that we're in this together and that's that's a very lovely thing because i think it you know for many years i think i it was true for me i'd like to think that it was true for you but i think that both of us probably would have like jumped under a steamroller rather than saying it out loud for whatever reason you know? <laughs> well yes but again i i've had i've had therapy now so i'm not that bad <laughs> yes yeah, yeah yeah which is wonderful no, I, no I, th I think you're true it's funny because i think that both of us have in very different ways like had had a fucker of a few years yeah for sure and, and one of the things about that experience has been really um realizing how valuable our friendship is yes yes you know yeah yeah and that that I'm super grateful for that and was very grateful for it through uh all the stuff that we we each went through like being there was a certain point where I was really aware of like no I <laughs> We may not be recording this week, but I do need to talk to Graham, and I do need to hear. Uh, we, we've actually, we should say, like, we have actually done that a lot more uh, yeah. 
this last year. Yeah. That it has been – it's our week off, but we're still going to have a conversation. Yes, exactly. Like, when we normally record, we're still going to call each other. We're just not going to record it. Yeah, yeah, which is which is – been great so, but it has been odd yeah yeah it's it's very strange for myself i realize um I, i'm actually going to break this into two parts because i'm not actually sure if i ever talked about the first part on the podcast which is that i have actually been on zoloft for i think about 14 months now, 15 months, something like that. As you guys uh, know from the podcast, uh, my dad passed. Um, gosh, it's going to be coming up in two years and end of March, I think. And um, that was that was that was quite that was quite an amazing uh, thing to go through because my feelings with my dad I I unlike Graham I'd gone through a lot and lot and lot and lot of therapy um, and I thought that I had basically wrapped my head around various difficulties uh, in the situation with my dad um, but weirdly enough. Uh, even though I felt like I was fine and processing things fine, um, the degree of anxiety that I was feeling in my life kept growing. And I'm not really sure the extent to which that was because the my dad passing. Uh, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. But honestly, I think there was, when I took the transition at my job, which was being a three-day-a-week regular working slob to being a five-day-a-week manager of the department. Um, I, I, part of me was like, geez, I don't know if I can handle this because of feeling like I was never particularly great at handling stress and I was really afraid that I would sort of fold under the responsibility and Edie and Graham, Graham in particular, was super encouraging and, and talked with me a lot about that. And so I came in in the first year, I was like, yeah, I can I can make this work a little ups, a little downs. And the second year, which when I, I thought would be much easier than the first, um, based on some shit stuff going on at work and stuff that happened with my dad, like... I don't know, like maybe four or five months after he passed, there was like some summer day where my blood pressure was just going through the roof. And I'm on blood pressure medication as like an old guy. And for whatever reason, even though I have a relatively healthy lifestyle comparatively in some ways, uh, I, I have always been on blood pressure medication and suddenly it just wasn't working. And... Um, I had been kind of at that point, I had been really, really ankle deep in a bunch of mindfulness uh, classes and exercises and, you know, was basically spending somewhere between 10 to 30 minutes a day, you know, quote unquote, being mindful. And I was really incredibly like, well, then why the hell is this thing? Why do I just feel like, like I'm just going to be a mess? Um, you know, why is, why is my blood pressure just going through my roof, uh, the roof? I think I have to say also on top of these things, God, I apologize that I'm just dragging this out ridiculously long, uh, is, is being aware that my parents themselves had, 
um, the ways that they had dealt with their situations, like as you get older and you try to, you look back on your childhood, but hopefully with a certain degree of, you know, that, that complex feeling for your parents that you have, realizing that they were kind of messes and that the, they were messy in a way that probably had more to do with the way they were wired than they were willing to admit, you know? Um, one of the things that really made me sad was one of the few times that I talked to my dad, probably in the final year before he passed, when he suddenly came out and just unprompted said that he loved me and he was proud of me. And it was such a shock because it was so atypical for my dad. Um, you know, and he had seemed pretty upbeat on the whole conversation. And I was like, yeah, geez, dad, you seem really in a good place. He's like, yeah, I am. I'm just, you know, I'm really exercising a lot. And I just feel like it's really made a positive difference. I'm like, oh, that's great. You know? And so I was mentioning that to one of my brothers and there who was well more informed of the stories. And they were kind of like, no dad, they had to put dad on antidepressants because he was just not, he was, he was, kind of starting to move towards the not functioning side of things. And I'm like, oh, oh, <laughs> like, and I don't know. I should have had that moment. Like, I don't know. Like, like, I don't know, Graham. I think, I think hopefully you sort of know what I'm talking about here where you're kind of like therapy. You're like, no, therapy is a good, it's a good thing. There is no reason that anybody who goes to therapy should in any way be viewed as stigmatized or as anything other than someone who is awesome and trying to take care of their mental health, except for me, of course, yes. you know, <laughs> and, and so, so I was very much incredibly supportive of everyone who had, um, taken things for anxiety or depression or had worked with their therapist. Um, you know, I've had family members who have alternately been on antidepressants and tried to go without varying degrees of success and not success or whatever. And I'm like, this is a, an absolutely viable journey for people. Um, just not for me. Cause I'm, you know, a horrible mutant. And at a certain point, I think around the blood pressure, I was like, okay, at this point, I feel like I've done everything. There's nothing like spending, you know, 30 goddamn minutes a day sitting in a room paying attention to your breathing to be like, okay, if this isn't doing it, maybe I should try something else. So I went on a very low key level of Zoloft. Um, and I think that it has made a huge, so far, nothing but positive differences uh, in my life. I feel like work has become easier, managing stress has become easier. I don't, I don't attach to a lot of my fears and anxieties the way that I did before, um, which is a lot of stuff that they talk about in mindfulness, like, oh, you just keep doing this thing and it gets easier and easier to not attach. And I, and I think I had come a long ways in that, but not nearly as long as I was after about two weeks on Soloft. So all of which is to say the very positive change for me this year is Edian and I got our act together and between my job change and uh, the cash 
that my dad had left behind because I think that it's super crucial in the society to talk about the fact that this is not a pull yourself up by a bootstraps kind of thing. But this is not only two people, you know, Edie is a very busy graphic designer in her own right who works from home, but her income and my income and with the extra X element of uh, the money my dad left, it was like, oh, maybe we can buy a place and uh basically the long and short of it is we did the last six months have been unbelievably stressful because we are um at, at least until december 31st we're still not entirely out of our apartment tomorrow we go and move the very last load of stuff out of the apartment so it's an amazing time to actually record this we have been <laughs> living since essentially black friday the day after thanksgiving in this house in Moss Beach, which is right above Half Moon Bay, right below Pacifica, um, I, on top of working five days a week, I am now commuting to and from work every day. Fortunately, it's a two-part commute where I'm driving uh, up the coast to uh, BART, and then I'm taking public transit in the la rest of the way. I've got like a longer ride, which has been great, because honestly, I don't think I would have made the last two drops um, if, <laughs> if I hadn't had extra time. Um, and we we got a, a lovely house that is just a few blocks away from a marine reserve and a sycamore grove. And neighbors make a point to greet everyone by name and look at you and smile on your face. And the house is a is a uh, hor horrifying death trap that uh, <laughs> <laughs> that. that seems to be getting better bit by bit day it, by day is, but also this is, is not. what i've said to you off yeah. the recording before though you buy a house and you move in and you're like i only see everything that's wrong with it and then yes. there comes a point where you're like there actually is no more wrong with it okay and everything feels better because you stop seeing a new bad thing every day well yeah no agreed i you're it's a good point graham on the other hand it's december we still we do not have heat um the roof has not like caved in on us or anything but like the back door no longer opens like the rain has apparently warped the wood and sealed up the back door on us like we took out the old dishwasher and found like a horrifying rat's nest uh Edie and i were like trying to get the sink fixed and Lit I mean, it's just it's just an endless litany. There, of... there, has, there has been a lot. It has been very Mr. Yeah. Blanding's Bill's Dream House. It really has. <laughs> it really has. It it's when you have people come over to the house, like when the plumber actually looks at you and says, "Have you ever seen that movie, The Money Pit?" Like you're like, <laughs> uh, oh boy. yeah. Oh boy! Yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah. When the when the contractor workers are like, oh, you know what? You might want to see. So yeah, it's um, it's it's been terrifying. It's we pay. I yes. Oh, I was going to say, what not to listen to the show regularly? Might remember we basically got halfway through November and we'd done three episodes of the month, and then we're like, we're going to be back in two weeks, maybe three weeks. Yeah, uh, we'll get back to you. Literally, that was because. I didn't know if I was going to go to Brazil. Yes. But also, Jeff was moving house. Yeah. 
And there was a moment where we were going to try and record an episode the day after he moved into the house. Yes, yes. Yeah, th- and thank God Graham was like, let's not. That's not smart. We, let's, we'll do these other episodes. We can make it up. And, I mean, I think we really did. We managed to hit our... Yeah, no, no, we did. Yeah. But there really was there really was a moment of like we genuinely didn't know for once. Yes, when that time we were going to be able to record was. Yeah, because it was either we record the day after Jeff moves house, which again there was Thanksgiving. Yeah, then the day after Thanksgiving he was moving house, and then the day after that he wanted to record an episode. Yeah, which seemed ambitious, shall we say? Yeah, and then. The next week, I may or may not have been in Brazil. Yeah. It's... So that's why, for once, because I would understand if anyone listening was like, what the fuck is happening? It, there was a lot of things literally outside of our control at that point. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And at that point, I mean, the thing that's insane is is the I, at one point, the only thing that worked in this house was the internet. The internet has Which been, is so much better. It's crazy how much better it is. It's stupid. We were living in a rent-controlled apartment in San Francisco, the quote-unquote heart of the tech mecca, and we could not get our internet to work for the life of us. We moved down here where we literally do not have uh, mail delivery. Like we have to get a PO box because we're that goddamn rural. And yet our Wi-Fi is so blindingly fast that um, <laughs> it's like you've come into the 21st century it, and it is glorious it is glorious in fact a few if you i don't think anyone would have heard it but like two or three weeks ago like when we were first getting settled in and i had this super highfalutin internet it was probably like it was like three weeks ago uh the graham was talking and he was kind of breaking up on the call a little bit and i was like oh shit why is it his internet and it was literally because it was the first time I had just turned on the computer like five minutes before calling him. And my Dropbox was literally sinking 64 volumes of manga while Graham was talking <laughs> and did it in under three minutes. And that's why he was just a little bit. I, 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 and I was like, son of a dick. Do I have shitty? What the fuck's happening? And then it said, like, you've synced 64 files. I was like, oh, okay, I know. I know what's going on. So, yeah. So, it's Edie and I left San Francisco after 30 plus years. I mean, both of us have lived there for, you know, since the 80s. Um, You know, I had like three years where I was in Los Angeles and she had three years where she was living in Berkeley before coming to San Francisco, but basically pretty much more or less continuously since 1984. And it was kind of time. We're very excited to be able to have like this new surrounding and this new kind of quote unquote chapter in our lives. It would be great if it was a chapter that wasn't like, you know, uh, a goddamn gothic romance novel with like fucking wolves slavering at the ancient crypt door and like you literally had no idea there was a fucking crypt in the place who knew but it's like at a certain point 
like Edie really did start like I made the jo- mistake of mentioning like well maybe this house was built on an Indian graveyard and oh, no. and that she still comes back to it is like the Indian burial ground is fucking with us like we had something where I don't I don't remember what happened it was something it was oh right the the <laughs> I won't bother you guys with it. Let's just say there were dead fly carcasses involved, like drowned uh, dead fly carcasses. But um, it's it's as long as I live and we don't end up like characters in a in a Lovecraft uh, short story, which, which is to say racist and or dead. Um, we're it's it's been an amazing it's been an amazing transition to to be somewhere else. Um, and we're really liking it. So yeah, 2019. Here's to 2020. Like, who are the only two people excited about the year 2020? I would say it's Graham and I. Right, Graham? I think that's a, a fair way of saying it. No, like Dan Slot's very excited. He finally gets to Iron Man 2020. Oh, it's no. three of us. Three of us. We're we're good. Um, we should say that, <laughs> that um, bumps what, me what out this... so much. <laughs> What this means is 2020 is also a year when you're going to hear, like, lots of ridiculous stories of, um, like, there, anyone who follows Chloe on Twitter, and you yeah. should, her Twitter is really funny. Yes. Uh, Note that, A, she is arguably the most 2080 obsessed person in the world, to the point where she has a Judge Dredd tattoo. Yeah. Uh, but also, she gets some fascinatingly crazy ideas. What no one has seen, and yet she has been talking about for months now, is she wants to compare the cast of Strontium Dog to actual dogs. And oh she has a list God. of oh. breeds. Wow. Yeah. Expect to hear a lot more of that on the podcast. And also, I'm really hoping we hear a lot more house stories, Jeff. I, I hope so, too. I would love to I'd love to bust them out. So far, it's just been us, me complaining and poor Graham having to listen to it. But now, hopefully, I can share it with some of you guys as well. Uh, yeah, I honestly, Chloe being able to, to talk about Chloe... I I am a little I I have a certain amount of uh imposter syndrome squared because I feel like you and Chloe doing drock would be such an amazing <laughs> experience uh for I, everyone. I I I am I am I think I've said this to you. I'm fairly sure I've said this to you before. I I'm toying with the idea of doing like Patreon episodes where we talk about non-dread things together. Mm. Oh really? Oh, oh! So, like talking about other 2000 AD titles yeah. or British comics yeah. or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah, I think that uh, would be fabulous. So you, yeah, you may Patreon people may get to hear uh, some some interesting uh, discussions of Robo Hunter, which we kind of talked about on Drog already. Right. Uh, Robo Hunter, Wagner and Grant, if they were being more comedic and also sadly infinitely more racist. Oh yeah. Uh, and also Strontium Dog, which might actually be even better than Dread. Mm. Wow. Um, yeah. Wow. Uh, so, we'll, we'll, yeah, that might be happening in the new year as well. Well, that's great. And people, just to give you a sampler, I will say that somehow Chloe and I ended up, um, I sent her a picture of Judge Dredd's ass uh, from the latest Judge Dredd complete case files. And that was a ridiculous. Ridiculous! I knew that it was yes. like. No, she actually came running into the room. <laughs> it's like, why did you not show me this? <laughs> 
See, I was wondering if you had shown her. I was like, okay, I just can't take the chance that Graham didn't show her this shot of Graham no, no, she was, of Dred's she was naked upset. ass. Yeah. She was genuinely upset for that. And then I had to explain, because you might not know this either. That page you, you uh, took, which was from the one of the judges did the ads, yeah. is based on a real British television commercial from the 80s. That So? That's why you didn't show her? Like, no, I, no, I, no, I just gave her like backstory. And I was like, did you know that as well? Waka, waka, waka. No, I didn't. I sort of half figured because it seemed a little um, – it, it just seemed – it seemed goofy enough. It seemed like it was an actual – particularly because I think at one point there's music playing as they walk yeah. out or something. It's, yeah. It, so, yeah. It, it uh yes so anyway so so knowing uh, yeah, so, that, so, so expect yeah. expect some ridiculousness in the new year yeah. uh but the short version jeff and i have both had uh pretty big like life shit happened this year but yeah. we're both like in a better place yes uh, emo- emotionally and, and in jeff's situation literally physically well yeah except as long as you just put the word better in quotes. Like, I think ultimately it oh. will be better. Graham, I don't mean it that, but it was literally... It was <laughs> no, I know, I know. We've, yes, I know. <laughs> 42 degrees last night and no heat. Like, no heat. Like, you know, it's... There's times where that is not fun. So, I mean, just the number of times that, that Edie, God bless her, has like just been like at the edge of losing her mind and then the sink will begin spewing stuff uncontrollably oh god i anyway guys we're great we're good we hope you're great (laughs) as well we wish you the best for 2020 thank you so much for listening to us through 2019 um yeah we're looking forward to being able to talk about some of that stuff now that you know what's going on now that you're you're up to speed as it were um Yes. And so, Graham, do you think we should shut it down for... Yeah, and and honestly, like, I feel like we're so good to end. I I kind of don't even want to do the regular ending. Oh, maybe we Uh, shouldn't. We have a Twitter at Wait What Podcast. We have a Tumblr and an Instagram, and I mention them every single episode. So just go and listen to the end of another episode. exactly. Um, We have a Patreon, and we are incredibly grateful to the people who uh, contribute to our Patreon. It's, It's... like heartwarming to us and and honestly like makes when the two of us are exhausted makes us feel really happy about doing the podcast beyond just getting the chance to talk to each other every week yeah yeah it it is true i think i think that at some point we could have made the transition to us just gabbing uh for a little bit each week and uh, believe me it's super important to me but I don't know if we necessarily would have recorded or kept ourselves on track. Um, like I said previously and in this episode and the previous episode, I'm so incredibly grateful that our desire to do uh, an extra episode, an extra episode every month um, uh, because of the Patreon means that we're doing Drac. Cause like I said, it's 3000 plus pages of judge dread later. And I'm kind of in awe of, how much of it has been good. And I hope that you guys have been reading along. And if not, the great part is the episodes are there. And um, I don't know, hopefully as time goes on, I'll eventually sound smarter about it. So uh, yeah, we, we're and we're super, super grateful to you guys. Uh, Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy, gets a super shout out 
for her continuing support of this podcast. Um, and, and of the universe in general. Yes, which is important. The universe is important. God, there are times where I'm like, well, it, <laughs> at least there's going to be life somewhere that hasn't been totally fucked up yet. Graham? <laughs> I don't know. I know. I know. But that was that was the dinner. People were yeah, heading into twenty, and we're both at day. We're both happy and ready for the the challenge ahead. Yes, that also sounds like weirdly like dinner. Ignore me, everyone. <laughs> have a good year. I hope you have a wonderful time. I hope you are not regretting listening to us for like the last almost three hours. Oh my god! Yeah, we'll try Jeff, and- say say happy new year, Jeff. Happy New Year, Jeff. Bye. I have to edit. I have to edit out my blabbing. <laughs>